0: Welcome to the Political Philosophy Podcast, I'm Toby Buckle. The episode you're about to listen to is a conversation with Professor Helen McCabe on the relationship between John Stuart Mill and socialist movements in his time. It's a pretty in-depth, long conversation. We start with what are John Stuart Mill's ethical foundations and how those might relate to either the liberal or socialist tradition. And we really take it from there to a really in-depth and wide-ranging discussion on the nature and foundations of those two traditions. I've decided to leave this as one episode because it really is just one long extended conversation. Obviously, you don't have to listen to it in one sitting or anything like that, but I think I am leaning more towards longer episodes when i have extended discussions like this so anyway i'll get straight to it um helen mccabe is the uh, is an associate professor of uh, political theory at nottingham university and she's the author of john stuart mill socialist which is the book that this interview is based on and the position that she's going to articulate in this interview namely that John Stuart Mill is best categorised as a socialist, which, as someone who's been really making the case to try and claim Mill for a progressive liberal tradition rather than a sort of libertarian liberal tradition, it was really interesting to talk to someone who's ready to go one step further than even I've been in, in that argument. And we have a bit of back and forth on sort of liberal uh, versus socialist, and I'll sort of not preface it any more than that. I'll let you make your own mind up. Um, but I think at the same time, um, agreeing about like about 95% of our, in- 90% of our interpretations. And she certainly knows a lot more about like the historical context and so on than I do. And overall, this was just a really fun discussion. We really nerd out on some details and really get into some depth, so I hope you enjoy it. This episode will be available both on the YouTube channel and the regular just podcast feed as, like, most of my interviews now. I'm trying to do both. Um, So if you want to watch the video of this, um, you can, or if you're happy, with just regular podcast feed, then, yeah, whichever works for you, really. Um, And, yeah, if you do like this sort of content, um, please do subscribe, either on the YouTube channel or your favourite podcast player, or both. And um, if, um, you know, you listen to the whole thing, then you're clearly interested in this sort of stuff too, so please consider sharing it on your own social media. Um, because you know you might know other people who are interested in this sort of content. That's about it. I'll keep the introduction brief. This is John Stuart Mill and socialism with Helen McCabe. Okay, I am joined today by Professor Helen McCabe. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you very, very much for the invite. It's lovely to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Um, <laughs> before we get going, um, do you have like a quick potted uh, bio? What are some of the things that you've researched or taught or just you know, like to think about?
1: Yeah, great. Yes. So I'm an associate professor of political theory at the University of Nottingham. Um, I mainly, when I'm teaching, I mainly teach political thought because of all my work on Mill. Um, I also work on Harriet Taylor, Mill's wife. um, And I've got a book. It's due. It's not finished yet.
0: Oh yeah, you're doing sources, aren't you? The, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: so we're going to do about how, how their writing relationship developed and all the different roles they played in each other's work. Um But at the minute I'm on research leave, I'm funded to study forced marriage. Mm-hmm. Um So I've got two or three different projects on that. One's a kind of philosophical project about um forced marriage and modern slavery. So the International Labour Organization has now sort of declared forced marriage to be a form of modern slavery and it poses lots of interesting philosophical legal questions about what that means, what it means in practice for prosecutions, and for ending both. Um, but we're also informed by using the narratives given by survivors to explain how they experienced um, their forced marriages and how that kind of reacts or links to different definitions of um, modern slavery. And then, because of the COVID pandemic, I also got some money to study the impact of COVID-19 on forced marriage in the UK. So that has involved me doing lots of things with spreadsheets, which is not my general background <laughs> um, so it's nice to be able to come and talk about the philosophy and kind of my my roots and my my
0: first calling yeah oh you'd you'd love me at work see i'm the opposite i'm a spread cheetah file or whatever oh. the word is i i, I like i like excel. i'm one of those weirdos who like likes excel you know
1: okay i'm i'm getting better with excel but um i wouldn't say we were totally friends yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Collegial, you sit across it from each other at the office. Yeah, and and then sometimes I just I just don't
1: understand what it's done with the formatting, and it makes me cry. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, okay, and I've just finished John Stuart John Stuart Mill, socialist. Oh, we both. Yep. (laughs) Which has a very very lovely cover, as we were talking about before we came on. Now, there's a saying about books and covers, and it's bullshit. People absolutely <laughs> judge them on their covers, and <laughs> I'll even that put my correct. foot in it further and say correctly: like a cover is your opening salvo for yes, like that's true.
2: Yes.
0: what what this book is about. Yes. Um. So, John Stuart Mill, socialist. Um. Can we start with just, like, some general getting into Mill, and what I suggested is let's look at, like, core ethical commitments to start instead of doing, like, starting with the bio, because, (laughs) um, if you want the bio, um, Mm. look at my John Skorupski interview or I was interviewed on elucidations, there's, there's a lot to go for, um, but let's skip over the bonkers upbringing mental breakdown, (laughs) all of that, um... Mill starts on Liberty saying, I reject abstract right as a thing independent of utility. Um, Every appeal I'm making is ultimately tied to utility, but, and I quote, it must be utility in the largest sense in the permanent interests of man as a progressive being. So that's an overt statement from Mill about what his ultimate ethical bedrock is mm. um like what 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 at the core of it is he is he mm. trying to do um and the way i was always taught mill is that's your starting point so what what does he mean by permanent interests and what does he mean by progressive being Oh
1: hey, so those yeah those are two of the biggest questions in mill right aren't they yeah. in terms of like if we're going to actually take it which I guess has been my approach in all of my research on Mill. Like, take what he says seriously and try and work out what he means yeah. rather than coming to it with an assumption mm-hmm. that you know because you've read some Bentham or you. Mm-hmm. he uses words that we use commonly so you think you, obviously, you understand what they mean. Liberty's the best example, right, is <laughs> your book Cost through. So, I, I mean, lots well, of people taking different approaches in terms of permanent interests. Maybe progressive beings is easier. So I guess Mill thinks that we're all... Um, things that can or be beings <laughs> so hard to use this not not to use his words right um living creatures that chick can change mm. um and he thinks that societies change over time because of what people do inside them um but he also thinks that individual people change he's really interested in, in like a science of character development um which he was trying to to get his, his head around and he never publish on it um and this sense of and I, but i think you can read his autobiography as a kind of individual account of like how are people made how do they grow he has some lovely metaphors in o liberty, right about us growing like trees in a kind of natural way rather than being turned that's into topiary where, if
0: i could do a self-plug <laughs> see, <laughs> exactly
1: that kind of tree and not the ones you see on the continent that are ch- shaped to cause shade and stuff yeah. um that's so kind of used used for everybody else and i think it's nice the tree metaphor for some of the stuff I'm interested in too because we we might think of beautiful trees that you see alone on fields that have like grown but in forests trees all have to grow but also by taking into consideration other trees right there's a kind of like somehow becomes this balance where they're all getting light Um which I think is one of the things that's interesting about some of the elements of Mill who is a social theorist so he's not really just thinking about individual growth he's interested in man man the man in that sentence is women as well and it's the whole of humankind really it's like people as progressive beings and I guess one of the key commitments of utilitarianism is is that everybody counts as one and no more than one and that means everybody so kind of thinking about how everybody's growth would be maximized in the sense of what utilitarians are about which is kind of maximizing utility and I guess I think of permanent interest being the things that we need in order for this growth to happen um, and Mill identifies lots of things that stop it happening, so you've got to think of, and then some kind of positive things that help it happen. And I guess as a kind of social scientist, he's interested in both doing away with things like poverty, which stop growth happening, but also how do you have a society that encourages and nurtures it? And one of the elements of that is the principles of liberty, right? We have to have a certain kind of tolerant and supportive society where people's individual individuality, which by which he means like their individual character. Can and uniqueness can grow and and, and um, flourish, um, <clears throat> but I think he, he thinks that these are constrained by stru- what we might now call, I guess, structural issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what progress was possible at different times of history has been different because of the kind of possibilities. Um, around in the feudal system, it might be different, it might be different for different people to how it is in an industrial society or how it was in ancient Greece for certain kinds of people. Um, and so some of his judgments I think are interesting because they're talking about different stages of society and different kinds of social constructions. And he's very interested in the question of how social institutions provide or meet those permanent interests like um, and help people to do this kind of flourishing. I guess the permanency bit <clears throat> means that they really are there, like all through time, um, but different periods of time have better or worse capabilities of achieving them. So I guess it might be, a, I mean, one way of thinking about it is in a kind of like, SEND-like capabilities. Mm. I guess it's like, there's a lot of really interesting research into thinking about exactly what means by interests, but I guess that's been my take on it. And because that's quite a complicated like if you think about what capabilities you might need meeting as permanent interests of people, it's a bit more complicated than say for plants, where that might be like light, not too much cold, (laughs) some nutrients. Um, And so the list is going to get very big. And so I tend to think of Mill when he says early on in his life, you know, realise that the direct pursuit of happiness doesn't actually lead to happiness, it leads to you having a kind of psychological issue about what is it I and mean, am I happy right now? I think psych- psych- you know, modern psychology research has shown that the minute you ask people are they happy, they're less likely to say yes, <laughs> because you start thinking about it. Um, and so he is very much concerned that utility needs to be the ultimate arbiter of choices we make and social institutions that we create. But he thinks, I mean, the way I read him anyway, is that there are intermediary principles. Um, and I think, Norris Narasimhan has written on this better than I have. I kind of borrowed from his thinking in the book a bit, um, and there are lots of those intermediary principles. I think Mill writes about this in the when he talks about the art of life in the system of logic as well, because um, each kind of art is going to have one. Like medicine has a different end goal to architecture or mm-hmm. education, um, and all of these principles are really important for to realise as best we can, given the constraints of. Of the societies we live in um but in the book i pick out uh what i think are kind of like fundamental ones and, and of interest to thinking about the specific element of mill's thought which is thinking about his socialism which is different to thinking about like his view on free will for instance right which the people right. that think, think about so in the book i picked out
0: let, let, let's just pause okay. there because i want to I want to let me put that back to you in my own words, because I want to just get through that and Mm -hmm. then we'll get to um, what are the doubts. Um, So um, I'm just going to pick up on the word intermediate principles and try Mm -hmm. and just give a real, like, simplified version of that. Mill is a utilitarian. That never goes away for him in his life. He's always a moral consequentialist, and that is important to reading Mill. I think mm-hmm. what a lot of people say about Mill, who maybe like aren't like super into him, is like, well, the utilitarian stuff is a bit sketch, but actually you can read a lot of his arguments independent of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you can't. But, mm-hmm, I agree. Yeah. Um but I, it's intermediate steps. It's not like... There's, this, there's two differences from Bentham, mm-hmm. you might point out. The first is, if you just straight-up ask, what is utility? Um, regardless of just, like, exactly what they're implying philosophically, very different-sounding sentences are going to come out of Mill's mouth and Bentham's mm-hmm. mouth. Bentham, basically, Bentham's going to sort of try and couch it in a lot of scientific language, mm-hmm. and Mill's going to use a lot of quite organic flowery romantic mm-hmm. type language yeah. yeah um so that's one difference and without getting into the philosophy Mills just a little bit more poetic about how he yeah. thinks about it the next difference is there's utilities the ultimate goal there's mm. a few stops on the train between there and what tax policy should be right yeah. and I my ultimate view is, like, we can sometimes, I think, a little bit anachronistically impose a act-versus-rule type mm. read onto... That's something we've thought up since then. Yeah, later, yeah. And we've kind of gone back. And if you're going to put it back, Mill's probably more on the rule side, but that's just not really how he's thinking about it. It's more like there's a lot of the time, you know, if I'm trying to be happy in life, I don't like I might think about stuff like I want to do well at work, I um want to have a good relationship with my I, I might with my wife, I might pursue mm-hmm. a lot of goals that ultimately will make me happy, but they're not coterminous with it. And I think yes. Mill kind of thinks about society writ large in that way too. There's things like freedom and security and solidarity yeah. that are ultimately justified because pursuing them will create more happiness, but they're not exactly the same as it. So it's yeah. like there's a few there's there's we are after happiness. Happiness, I've you know I've read Coleridge and I'm going to talk about with more a, a diff, very different flavour of yeah. language than Bentham would. Yeah. But the way you get at that isn't that you sit down and you sum it all up in every act. It's that mm-hmm. you have these sort of secondary goals. Mm. that you're also pursuing that's my account of what i just heard you say
1: yeah no and i think that is accurate of what i was trying to say whether it's an accurate reading of (laughs) Mill, there's there's a lot of scholarly debate isn't there but i think it's certainly how i would read him talking about ethics yeah and how to work out how to be an ethical being and also how to do social policy and be a responsible politician
0: (laughs) and so yeah i and so the consequentialism in Mill never really goes away because I think there's a reading um, of On Liberty that mm. it's like he starts with these two throwaway lines about permanent interests of man and then basically makes a whole load of rights-based arguments as mm. if he's completely forgotten about them. Yeah, And that I, I don't think that's right. I think no. he's aiming at plurality of like these like secondary things Mm. that you aim at um all of which are ultimately grounded in utility you can tell they're grounded in utility because he never he never gives a non-consequentialist reason no exactly
1: yeah and i guess also we maybe it's also thinking about rights right like we there's a tradition certainly in liberalism that you've got to think that rights come from like outside of human societies mm. in order to give them their proper worth. Because mm. otherwise you just have, it, it, it's difficult, but certainly we can't do kind of like comparative politics critique of other countries if you just get the rights around the constitution and, this, and that's it, like that's what rights are, that's what's in the law. You can't even do critique of your own laws, right? You can't be like, it'd be better if we had these because you can't make a rights-based claim. But I think um, there's plenty of people currently who work in rights right who would like to base concepts of rights in something like a capabilities account so they're not trying to say there are these natural rights they come from god or they come from like something innate in our nature or you can deduct them from pure reason in a kind of of modern Kantian way they want to say something about what we know about people and what it takes for them to flourish and i would see mill in that kind of tradition as well of like he wants to root it in real people and not in what Bentham calls nonsense on stilts kind of mm. this like metaphysic idea about the being rights that exist somewhere
0: which outside. i will give it to Bentham. i love that quote
1: it's a great nonsense line and It's a great line, stilts. and it's even greater when you like actually understand what he means about the, stil- the stilts bit and like all oh, right it's not just nonsense it's like elevated into these um you know great declarations that were coming out around the french revolution and mm. um, on the other hand there are definite and Bentham would acknowledge right definitely really good reasons to have bills of rights in your constitution mm. <laughs> like um the question is just like how do we come to an agreement or how do we work out what those rights should be and I think for mill it's exactly as you're saying it's well what do people need to be progressive beings what are their permanent interests and I think there's something about the permanency that it's like we always need it all through our lives and all humans need them at all stages of human history um just how they realize might look different Mm. and so that means that gives them the kind of weight or i think mill thinks it gives them the fundamental kind of weight that other people want to get from saying these are you know deductible by pure reason or they're god-given or they come from some other kind of metaphysical source than just humans thinking it through um so I think they are, is thinking about kind of really fundamental interests, uh, but they can be quite broad, right? Like we, have, we might have a lot, as human beings, we might have a lot of fundamental interests.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always a, a thing with political philosophy in particular where we want to really have a, a heavy-duty normative weight to stuff, mm. right? And I think yeah. that's yeah. like where a lot of dubious philosophical claims about rights can come in is this has to be like incontrovertible and you start with the idea that it has to be incontrovertible and then almost like work back to like well what would arguments that got you that conclusion look like and actually you want to go the other way you want to say well no what actually do we have reason to, to believe in um
1: and so it's interesting it's both the kind of crisis of modernity isn't it that you can't just say oh well, they come from god so there we are boom, yeah. easy um but also crisis of modernity of having seen such egregious rights violations mm. that you that you are reminded <laughs> i mean at the minute reminded on a daily basis right mm. why rights ought to be and but obviously aren't completely inviolable mm. or certain rights ought to be completely inviolable um and so i think you know there's a reason why we all care care about this like really significant normative weight mm. um but and i guess it's one of the challenges for political philosophers If you're not going to take a kind of theological answer, then there's a huge amount of political philosophy to do to work out how do we make those kind of normative claims. And obviously, as you say, Mill's answer is utility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so utility at our foundation, secondary principles, almost like, I would say, this thought is occurring to me now, so tell me it's rubbish, but it's a writ large, writ small thing. The writ small is I want to be happy, but Mm. actually, like, most of the time, being happy is more going to be about, like, you know, I want to put out a good podcast episode or do well at work or, like, have a nice evening with my friends, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, and then the writ large is we want all people universally counting as one and not more than one to be happy. Mm. But actually, like, the best way to go about that is by focusing on some other things that society as a, as a whole tries to pursue like security or liberty
1: yeah and I think that's in that sense also the writ large it's more so like on an individual level um you know I'll be happy if I get a good night's sleep I'll certainly be less grumpy and my friends my colleagues might be happier <laughs> um, I'll be happy if I like read a good book like you know there's like kind of small things I can do have a good night with my friends like, um, <clears throat> but fundamentally none of that's possible unless I've got security fundamentally none of that's possible unless i live in the sort of society that lets me make my own decisions about my own well-being
2: right
1: at least within certain kind of constraints fundamentally it's not going to be possible unless i mean for me right if it's going to be some basic gender equality and other kinds of equality that mill's interested in so i think there's the, the kind of core principles their background aren't they like of once yeah. they're once they're more in place then we can drill down to the the very small things and I guess that's one of the powerful things about liberty is pointing out how such a massive myriad of things make individual people happy Mm -hmm. that would also make some other people really unhappy (laughs) Um, but the point is to have the kind of space in which we can all pursue them without kind of judgment and um, being prevented from doing it because somebody
0: disapproves So you've got a list of them in your book Um, liberty is one that's yeah. a core core commitment for Mill. I've covered that a lot, and maybe we'll get back into that, but let's leave that that be. Progress, that's another. Again, I've covered it a lot on the podcast, maybe we'll get right. back to it. Those two, I think, certainly liberty makes mm-hmm. sense. Security, well, like you say, that's almost just like a background condition. Yeah. That's a prerequisite. Yeah. You also put equality on the list, yeah. which might be less familiar or less intuitive yeah. equality's core for mill why that doesn't seem as obvious to me as like security seems obvious that's like a background condition you don't want to yeah. like mongol hordes coming in or whatever yeah. right yeah liberty i think f- follows very naturally from this developmental conception of human nature yeah equality why is why is that a core mill commitment
1: so and i think it it covers a fair few things doesn't it which is also kind of interesting he I think I mean so I suppose part of how I approach the book is just like let's look at his work what does he talk about a lot what's he really care about and and you when you do that you you notice equality um so then I think it has an implication for lots of different elements but I guess one reason for why would be this it is a basic tenet of utilitarianism, right? Nobody counts for more than one. Like utilitarianism is radically egalitarian in mm-hmm. at least one sense, right? Mm-hmm. If you're making policy decisions and you can you've got resources I mean, this is not really how it works, but like resources to that would improve the well being of a hundred people or ten, probably, depending on what the difference is, you should give it to the hundred, right? right? And it shouldn't matter I mean both that the 10 of your family that shouldn't make you make a difference which is a real challenge people think that means utilitarianism is like deeply unethical right as a system um but it certainly shouldn't be the case which is one of the kind of politically radical elements of, of utilitarianism that we practically forget from how early it came about in in bentham um should it make a difference to you that you could do this thing for 10 noblemen or hundred peasants yeah like it like the the hundred should weigh out the ten even if they've got this kind of higher social status so i guess it's a kind of there is a kind of fundamentally i don't know leveling in that sense but i mean people then think leveling down that this so is maybe not the best route but kind of yeah fundamentally equality. and then i also think mill recognizes and this is what i think is interesting about mill like all these core principles interact hmm. um in lots of interesting ways but i think mill's mill's not that interested about no <laughs> one would like it to tell a society because he's interested in freedom, right? Yeah. But a society in which there's freedom for one gender or one race or one class or one caste is also not interesting for him because there's all these other people who aren't getting to experience utility. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess one of the interesting things in books like Subjection of Women is that he points out that even the people who benefit from the inequalities, so the people who have most, mm-hmm. um, they don't they don't benefit as much as they think they do like it's bad for them in lots of different ways um so if you have the power to tyrannize over your family and your employees and the women in your life in particular but anybody else like domestic servants um even to the extent of of killing them with impunity like mill has great mill and Taylor have great writing on domestic violence it's not good for you right it's not actually sort of like freedom it's not good for society it's not in that sense benefit uh certainly not as good as equality would look in a utilitarian balance. Um, so I think there's a I mean, in the book I argue that he's kind of fundamentally into interested in interpersonal egalitarian, like yeah, in equality between persons, and it's not just about kind of equal um resources or equal opportunities. It's about this really kind of fundamental seeing each other as equals um, in specific ways, which allows us then to also recognize our mutual inequalities mm. um, sometimes we just are better at doing something than other people sometimes right um which then also fosters this sense of how we fit together and how, why it's important that people can like be diverse and freely develop their individuality um because it's so much better to have lots of different interesting or even different boring <laughs> people <laughs> um than everybody looking kind of uniform
0: so, if I'm hearing you, there's at least two reasons for Mill to think equality is very important. One is it just seems an almost inescapable conclusion from basic utilitarianism. Like, you know, if I. the, the welfare, pure Benthamite utility gain that I can get yeah. by giving a homeless person £1,000 versus giving a millionaire it. Would suggest that if you have an extra million, you divide it up amongst the homeless people yeah. rather than just put it, having it just stay in some millionaire's bank account. Yeah. That seems virtually inescapable from a utilitarian point. Um, so just because utility is yeah. is one yeah. one answer, the other is that it's um, an enabling condition of freedom. Um, and, yeah, and, and the, the utility argument I made about wealth, you could also make about status and power hierarchies. It's almost directly analogous in my mind. So those are... Because utility, one. And two, it's a background condition for freedom. And then that moves you on, though, in that Mill is quite a bit more radical than most contemporary liberals, and I think actually most contemporary socialists. Yeah, in, in some respects, yeah. In saying that um we this will require a change in people's moral attitudes and i won't that's so there's equality which we covered and then there's this idea of like social solidarity or fraternity mm. in mm. the words of the french revolution um what's up with that that what's what's going on
2: there
1: yeah no so i think just i just one thing equality. i guess it, i don't think it's even just that it's a background condition for liberty this is the way i think about them interacting in some respects, a background condition for security.
2: Mm. Like,
1: women are just a lot less secure, right? Yeah. Because people get to murder us basically, and beat us up and stuff with with basic impunity, even in modern societies, never mind Mill society. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't have security in the right kind of ways. It's important for progress. I think Mill thinks there'll be so much more progress if there are equal marriages, if there was other kinds of equality, better decisions made if everyone's voice is heard. Like, these kinds of issues are also, they also fit in um so yeah but then, I, then it does it also so, fits with the fraternity so, thing
0: yeah so because yeah. because utility and yeah then and then because it supports all, yeah, of the, all the things we care concepts. about yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: one of which i, I argue that is is fraternity Like mill when mill says he's committed to like the the rallying cry of the french revolution he does mean all three bits and i guess we tend to kind of forget the fraternity bit a little bit when we think about uh certainly mill maybe the french revolution uh, or we just think about kind of silly things like calling each other citizen um, you know, uh, so Mill's very so, so. for instance, Mill's really anxious about like class conflict and social disharmony. Um, but I think if we understand if we understand this concept of equality, like I do, as relational equality, then that already has a sense of fraternity in it, right? Like you, you have to respect each other as something that is equal. Or is fundamentally equal, even if then you're like, oh, but Toby's a better podcaster and philosopher than me. But I don't know what I'm good at that you're not cooking. Um, I, don't know, like, I don't know. Gardening.
0: <laughs> certainly gardening. 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 I'm sure you're a better words, philosopher. I'm <laughs> sure you're a better philosopher than <laughs> okay. me. Gardening, my God. Our our goal was: we'll get a dog once we can keep plants alive and not kill oh. them, and that was ten years ago. So oh, okay,
1: okay. No, so I'm, gardening, I'm, you'll I'm have me. That's from, oh, Sorry, it's over there. Why so I keep yeah. looking
0: that way in my in my view? Um, but sorry, please go no, on. Yeah,
1: so so I think so. The fraternity bit allows us to. So I get yes. Yeah, so maybe I think the fraternity bit. Allows us to do relational. But I think a lot of us, I mean, the world would be a really different place sorry, if we actually just, thought just of each other's fundamental. Could
0: equal. you just start that point again? I lost you. Just connection issues on the first. Oh, sentence. sorry.
1: Yeah. So I think that fraternity, to some extent, underpins equality in the sense that to have relational equality and really recognise each other as equals. Um, is really hard. Like, I don't think we do it. Right. <laughs> um, the world would be a really different place if we really fundamentally thought migrants were equals, homeless people were equals. Well, they wouldn't be homeless, would they? We, we wouldn't be able to kind of to deal with it. Mm. Um, so I guess I think they're connected because the fraternity bit, like, is about solidarity, which I think is both kind of underpinning, Is what you said, like, moral... Character change. That I can recognise everybody as an equal because I understand them to be in that sense of fraternity that's familial. Um, like we're all in the same family of beings, of human beings. Um, we're not separated. Um, but I think also that he worries that there's a disutility of some kind, anyway, in the kinds of conflicts that come up um, when we aren't fraternal. Hmm. And so again, that again, that could be that it means we live in less equal societies, or we live in less free societies, or we live in less secure societies. But also perhaps something even more directly rooted to utility that um, just living in conflictual situations is is more disutilitous, hmm. That that's not, if that's a word. <laughs> it's less good utility than than living I'm in. I'm sure
0: more a term. That. I'm sure there is yeah, yeah <laughs>
1: absolutely're um, living in more harmonious societies.
0: Um, okay so I think I like doing this groundwork with Mill because I think there's a number of like surface level reads of Mill that if mm. you if you go straight to like the really famous bits of the text yeah. without that background, You'll they'll read as weird, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, just this isn't a liberty principle conversation, but just quickly with the liberty principle, when it comes up in like popular philosophy, it's often brought in and then rejected. You know, yeah. And I think what people sort of say is, well, what do we do about you know, God knows, mandatory vaccines, right? Let's analyse that. Um, I think I'm taking, I think Philosophy Tube um mm-hmm. did this recently. Um I might I might be wrong, but someone did it recently. Yeah. Um let's see what Mill would have said about that. Well here's Mill's liberty principle and the quote always is always the second paragraph of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. It's always um um the the only means by which we can prevent someone from doing this um and then concludes with um over his own body and own mind the individual mm-hmm. is sovereign. Yeah. Right. And then they'll sort of go, OK, but that's like a very individualist, atomised way of looking at the world. And actually, mm. with something like a vaccine, it's about how we all live together. And yeah. having done all that groundwork now, I think we're in a position to sort of say, why, actually, that's that's not quite right. Mm. Um, I would say, actually, while the one in the in, in the first chapter, the introduction, mm. is the most rip- powerful and famous Mm. statement of the principle Mm. the best one for understanding the mechanics of what's going on is the one he offers at the start of chapter four when he's starting Mm. to think through how it works where he says look you've got like liberty on the one hand and then you've got a bunch of other stuff some of which is decidedly communal and i sort of want to get as much as i can of both and mm. this is like a rule of thumb. It's not exact. Mm. It won't black and white delineate the world into two camps. Um, mm. It's actually not applicable in all historical ages and circumstances. But for where we are right now, it seems to me this is like a good code of practice for just how mm. we start to think about it. And what the liberty principle isn't doing is saying, OK, we're all atomized, egotistical individuals and this principle follows from that it's saying we have the individualist freedom we have mm. other things and like we just kind of we just want to like put some boundaries and structuring in between those things to mm. sort of just see that one doesn't overwhelm the other and it works both ways liberty yeah. can override other ones but other ones can override liberty and if anyway i'll stop there but yeah if you don't do that groundwork of like what are his core ethical commitments and like, what does he see himself doing? I think the text just doesn't make a lot of sense if you read it as like a capital L libertarian. It's only individuals, sort of thing. Like he's yeah. he's not particularly coherent or persuasive if you read in that way. I
2: think anyway. I'll pause. Well, and I think
1: I think to some extent he's you know in, influenced by German idealists um, and this use of the word individuality mm. that just. People read that and they're like, oh, so it's all about individuals. Yeah. And about about atomization and they see you know, would say like, oh, there is no society, et cetera, et cetera. And then like, no, if only he'd just used a different word, like yeah. their uniqueness or something like mm. or their personality, or like whatever it is you might say now that kind of maybe captures that, um, then we might not kind of fall into that heffalump trap of just, you know, making assumptions because you read a certain word. Mm. Um I think I think mean, that's one thing that's interesting about Mill as well, right? Like he is Committed to the principle that each individual is pretty much the best judge of their own happiness. Yes, and so that's why we need this sphere around us where we get to just do our own thing, whether that's what faith we have, whether it's that we like to just sit and read the Sunday papers, or we like to go on, you know, hikes, or we like to like meet up with all our friends. Like just, and people shouldn't make moralistic judgments about those things just because they don't like them. Mm. And and that that's what he's aiming for is a society where people get to pursue their own concept of the good in their own way or like what makes them happy whatever that is and then he's like oh but we can't just do that right like completely anarchically because those conceptions of the good will come into conflict they could come into conflict in really like obvious and grim ways like if I, if somebody just enjoys murdering people um so we need rules about that but they come into much into other into conflicts in other ways um and that's why we need a basic principle like the harm principle like all right well what if we said you can do it until you start harming somebody. Mm-hmm. Then, And then obviously we have to get into what harm means. But like, let's take that as a pro tanto. Like, <laughs> if that was their attitude, we'll let anybody do what they like unless they're harming somebody. That would be a much more utility maximising society. More progressive, more free, more perhaps more equal. Um, we don't have to be underpinned by a more fraternal sense uh, than we currently live in. And perhaps I'm also more secure, like lots of people, because people don't tolerate what they do, they're really insecure, right? They're, they're in danger of being attacked and, you know, violently, et cetera, even in Mills' day, and also in our own. Um, and I guess maybe if we, if, we try, if we try and focus on this, like, oh, this is Mills' only principle, well, it isn't, is it? Because he have got a principle of utility and, like, and that doesn't make him a hypocrite or, like, that he doesn't, there's kind of two Mills' thesis that Mill doesn't really know what the other Mills' saying. Hmm. I think you're right. We need to think about it as a cohesive whole, um, and it's difficult isn't it because Mill wrote well like 32 whole volumes of collected yep. works plus the index it's a huge amount of work and we tend to read like two or three really famous essays because they're short and sweet and got lots in them but it, we, you know you have to kind of think you're right think about the context of what are the claims and why is he emphasizing this particular claim in this book sometimes that's an historical context question um, but doesn't mean that he would always emphasise it at the expense of some other things that he's not interested in in this particular essay. And again, I think like I was saying before, but like how people write, you know, lots of these things when Mills came, Mill wrote came out in the newspaper, like they're responding to specific events. They're sh- they're, there's a reason they're short. They come out in reviews. Um, it's a very, he's a public philosopher in a way that we don't do it as much now, and I guess the same. I think if somebody was going to write their doctor, I mean, nobody will do this. But if someone's going to write their doctoral thesis on me or you, would we prefer that they analysed all the things we said in a podcast <laughs> or what we wrote in like academic work? Mm. Um, but there's no no obvious disengage there. And lots of stuff you wrote is for public consumption, um, and we tend not to read the like massive, more maybe more academic in our sense tomes. System of Logic, Examination of William Hamilton's Philosophy, Principles of Political Economy. Partly because they're massive. (laughs) It takes ages. I did read Principles for my PhD, and I had to have a nap every five pages.
0: Yeah, God. I do quite like the... um, the, What's the socialist one? Questions on socialism, issues in socialism, and blanking. Chapters on socialism. Chapters on socialism, there we go. I did read that. That's an okay read. Um, yeah, the principles of yeah, political yeah. economy walk with God, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but on the other hand, it's a real shame, right? Because the discussion in the chapter on property and the chapter on the probable futurity of the labouring classes, especially the one I'm trying to get right now, but I think especially the one on property, is a really helpful expansion mm. of what's in liberty talks about basically the harm principle, talks about individuality, what individuality means, what it needs. Like, it's, it's like a, a bigger and more interesting like expanded version of chapter five applications hmm. in Liberty. And I'm like, oh, people just, we just took that one out. Put it, I mean, I do on my teaching. I often take it out and put it on the reading list. But obviously most people don't get through the whole one Liberty in a week before a lecture. So they're not going to read the extended. But I do think it's really helpful for kind of nuancing what Mill says in Liberty.
0: Hmm. Okay, so. Let's get through to the core claim of the book that this is ah. this is a socialist. Um, why? I'll, I, I might I might give a bit of pushback on this, but like what we've oh, no no I'll give the pushback straight up. Here we go. Um, yeah, sure. um Okay. One sense this is a socialist in that you have a commitment to equality that's pretty radical both by today's standards and then. And I think the most socialisty it for me is the fraternity stuff. That mm-hmm. seems yeah. distinctly socialist yeah. to me. Yeah. At the same time, it's not just that he retains this very individualist i'd say pluralist sort of mm-hmm. account of freedom and that he's still like the fact that i'm saying this isn't a libertarian in the modern sense mm. doesn't mean that he's not really 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 into this stuff he is yeah. like no he is. Y- you yeah. Know. yeah um it's not just that that is retained i'm not saying socialists can't care about freedom But this whole way of thinking of, like, having Mm. a balance of different goods you're trading off against each other, this whole thing where you're asking questions like, you know, how do we, like, how do we, like, find the right boundary between individual Mm. freedom and social harm? That just... And and this whole, like, um, progressivist, like... And you can get into, like, what's your model of free, you know, liberalism that you're basing on. That all still feels liberal to me mm-hmm. in a big sense. Like, I'm, I'm not sure, like, I almost want to say you've got a spectrum, and mill somewhere on that spectrum. Like I'm not... so many
1: spectrums, we're somewhere on them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's my pushback, and my pushback is like a pure, like as they'd say on Twitter, this is a vibes argument I'm giving you here, right? In the I'm still there's still just a lot of liberal vibes in this thing. That's yeah, and, I, and that's
1: just, I guess my my heart, my uh, well, my like, hard pushback might be that's because we only we think socialism has to have a totalitarian vibe, as it were. Like we think of socialism being. Stalinism, and you and you've got not even Leninism, but like full on totalitarianism, merging people, false famines. It's all for the collective good, supposedly. Individual people just don't count. You know, one person, one one person dies a tragedy, a million people is a statistic. Like you know that kind of that kind of which I guess is utilitarian, but the wrong way around kind of view. <laughs> um, that um, that's what we think of often when we think of socialism. We think it's all about massive sacrifices. It's like Animal Farm, right? Um, and I guess I just think, I mean, that's not true about socialism. It's true about some ways in which socialism has been instituted in the world, absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to say, I don't know, lots of socialists are like, oh, it never really got tried. I think these are regimes that call themselves socialist, right? And so people are right to think about them. But there's also a huge amount of other forms of socialism. Um, and particularly in Mill's own day, like, there wasn't Marxism, right? There was only, there was only just beginning and to we, be Marxism.
0: Did Mill know Marx? Because they were no. writing contemporously. They were writing They lived in London at a similar
1: know. time.
2: Mm.
1: Um, Marx read Mill, so there's obviously writings on Marx on James Mill, but also writings of Marx on reading Principles of Political Economy. Mm. And he, when he came to London after 48, he definitely read Principles, which had just come out, came out in 48, first edition. I know we weren't going to do biographies, but... and Mark's...
0: So Marx read Mill, but not the reverse. Mark,
1: yeah. So the only thing that I think we can be sure about the Mill read is that... It's, it's nice for me, because I now teach in Nottingham, work and research in Nottingham. Um, there was a Nottingham branch of the International Working Men's Association, so the kind of... We would now think I was Mark's influence, because he was the secretary, but obviously had a huge number of more people in it. They sent Mill some stuff. They wanted Mill's view... Um, I was just like, I say, a public philosopher, public economist, friendly to cooperation and certain kinds of socialism, and also like really engaged with responding to at least certain groups of working class people on certain topics, right? Like always wrote back about women's rights stuff, um, engaging with like all the people who were interested and people he saw as being kind of part of the future. So they sent him um, something called, an essay that Marx wrote called Working Men in the War. So it's about what working people should think about the Franco-Prussian War.
2: Right.
1: Which obviously ends with the has the Paris Commune as part of it, right? Um that's what we might think about now for the Franco-Prussian War. Um and so that is signed by all the members of the International, like the Committee of the International. Um, so Marx's name is on it. But I don't there's no reason to think Mark that Mill would have spotted that as like, oh right, that's Karl Marx's organisation, is it? Because Marx had not published anything that I think Mill would have read. Like he'd he'd written the Manifesto, obviously, but the likelihood of Mill getting his hands on the manifesto, I think is quite small. Like, Mill has a middle-class job, right? Like, he lives in London. Um, And then David Leopold, who I've talked about before, uh, he's a real Marx
0: expert. He did the young Marx, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. So he, like,
1: we went through this when I was writing my thesis with him, and he said, you know, yeah, fascicules of the first chapters of capitalism, of capital, sorry, were um, circulating in French. The year Mill died, he died Mm. in May. So and Mill obviously was fluent French speaker, lived in France, died in France. Um so like maybe, but were they circulating in circles that Mill like why would Mill have got a hold of them? I think the jury's still out a little bit, but maybe G- Mill's German was better than I was thinking it was when I first was writing on this topic. Mm. And Capital was out in bits of Capital were out in German earlier, but again, would Mill have come across them, I think. We we think of Marx as such a dominant name, but actually wasn't really famous until right, after I, Capital I, I, existed. Yeah. You know, and, and Mill talks about in the chapters on socialism that you were just mentioning. Mill talks about um, revolutionary socialism, and that definitely is like a sign that Mill knows about kind of Marxist, Marxian ideas. Talks about this strike that happened in Baal in Switzerland that was um, inspired by Marx's writings. So I think he's aware of it, but not not in the sense I've read any of reading the scholarly stuff. So there's this letter, just like one last word in this, right? I guess there's a letter from uh, a friend of Marx's to Engels when. Marx has just arrived in London, Engels is checking is Marx okay. And his friend says, Yeah, he's fine. He's immersing himself in political economy. Mm-hmm. I and mean, his only friends in London are Mill and this other political economist, Weber, I think he's called. And when you go to Marx's house, uh, instead of tea and uh, like tea and Cake, as it were, you get principles of political economy. Yeah, and some people have taken take. this. So like you go see Marx and all you get is like economic economics chat, he's like super absorbed in it all. Some people have taken this to mean like Literally Marx's only friends in London were Mill and this other economist. Um and I think it's pretty obviously it. a joke. <laughs> um so there are some biographies of Marx that are like, and he was friends with Mill, see this letter. And I've been to conferences where people have like made this claim again and again. But the only evidence for it is this letter from a friend of Marx and Engels, mutual friend. Um and I think when you read the letter yeah, but like, same in the pandemic, you know, our only friends were Zoom and Netflix. Like, it doesn't mean we are actually yeah. friends with... <laughs> yeah.
0: And it makes sense with Marx's character. Like, he is the sort of man you would make that sort of
1: Exactly. About. I think it's very... Not, obviously, it's a revolutionary period in Marx's development as a thinker, right? From the different... And we all know Marx, you know, to do Marx scholarship, the difference between his pre-48 writing and his post-48 writing is like... Recognition that it's the economy, stupid, um that really needs to get his head round. And so, the fascinating connection, but no reason to think, you know, Mill was also that Mill was a very retired character. Like he went to work and then he went home basically. He didn't do a huge amount of public speaking and engagement till he was an MP. Uh, even then, not very much. Like he refused to campaign on his own behalf. He didn't think political candidates should do that. And um, I just don't know where he and Marx sort of bumped into each other. And the only account we've got of, like, Mill's home life is, like, Mill playing the piano, lots of Mozart and his own compositions. Mill had canaries and a Persian cat. Um, and I'm like, Marx drank a lot of beer. He played party games. Like, the kind of stuff we hear about Marx's home life. Mm. I just, I, yeah, not sure they would have gelled.
0: Yeah. Different
1: vibes. Okay, <laughs> so,
0: so, if he didn't know Marx, he definitely does know Sort of proto. The, uh, the, uh,
1: so, uh, yeah, knows other socialists So, list, so here's, here's my question. Here's,
0: here's where I think you were going before I inter- mm-hmm. had that question about Marx, which was like super interesting. But um, is what what does socialism mean to Mill? Because. Yeah, we've talked about is he a liberal or a socialist or somewhere in between he called himself a socialist um and he actually almost never uses the word liberal he'll use the word liberal in stuff like liberal minded but not as an ideological label no Um, and And he didn't
2: and he he stood
1: for the liberal party but as a working man's reform candidate right yeah so you know I, i so partly i think And that's one of the reasons I think it is really interesting that he calls himself under puts himself under the general designation of socialist in his autobiography because he was a really rampantly partisan benthamite right and he he said he as he recalls it he invented the term utilitarian i mean he might not have like there's you know scholars disagree but he he remembers kind of inventing it as a a banner that he and his friends like wholeheartedly endorse that's how they define themselves and then he does all this you know Debating and uh, under, under the against coloritians, against socialists, at uh, all um, and it, it starts. He realizes he doesn't like he doesn't like it. Like he realizes in the, in the heat of a debate, he's really insulted a really good friend, yes. and he and the, and he, it really put him off partisanness. Yes. And there are other elements you known his mental crisis and rethinking his benthamism and seeing like many-sided truths. And he just thinks partisanness is a bit a an obstacle. So he he eschewed most labels for the rest of his life. And I think that's one of the reasons that we should take the on the general designation of socialist quite seriously, because he doesn't do it very often. Mm. And so I think when he does pick one, he it's a sign he really meant it. And that's one of the things I mentioned in, is like exploring what on earth did he mean by that term? But again, it explains the, the qualifier. And so a few pages earlier, he talks about a qualified socialism. Mm. And I think in part that is about, Harry doesn't want to put himself under the banner of any of the other existing socialist groups. Um so say he met Saint-Simon when he was 14 but as Mill puts it in his own like recollections that was before Saint-Simon was like famously the founder of a religion um and of I mean socialist thought. But he was very engaged with Saint-Simonians one of his best friends was a Saint-Simonian and he very nearly signed up in his uh, in his what would he be mid mid 20s um is like 1830 1831, 32 um and then he says no but i'm not i don't i'm not I'm, I'm a not quite and b i'm just not doing the signing up thing anymore hmm. um he knew about furrier um initially like everybody he picks up on the you know the sea will taste a pink lemonade <laughs> thing in Fourier. uh he says he, he writes this great letter to Harriet Taylor there will says, be like, six oh, moons this um this guy Fourier he Humans seems to be a, will French evolve Robert a Owen.
0: flexible tale
1: Yes, yeah, and I mean, and they're wonderful. I mean, like the the cartoons of Concederon, if you see them when Concederon was elected into the 48th Parliament, um, of like Concederon with that tail, like spying on his fellow. <laughs> Great, um, anyway. and, uh, like these things that really kind of capture the public imagination about Fourierism. But once he'd read some Conceder, which is the kind of like cleaned up, sensible version of Fourier, <laughs> he was much he was much more interested and engaged. And there's long passages on Fourierism in the Principles. He knew Robert Owen. Mm-hmm. Bentham was an investor in New Lanark. He knew all about Owenism. He knew William Thompson. Um, so a different kind, and he read his books on a different kind of cooperative Owenism. Um, He's really good friends with Louis Blanc. Um and got very engaged with um producer corporation through the work that Louis Blanc had done with the national workshops after the French Revolution in forty eight and then after Louis Blanc's exile in London. Um he's one of the only people that ever went back to Mills for dinner. Um like, I I say Mill was a really private person. Um but definitely Mr and Mrs. Blanc went over to see Mr and Mrs. Mill. <laughs> um I think the other person the only other person we've got records of is Matsini. And it's a great dinner party, imagining, right? Like um so any new um, consumer cooperators in Britain. So George De- Jacob Polio, they've had a bit of a fractious relationship, but um, defended him in public and, and stuff. And he got lots of information about the Rochdale pioneers, uh, who you might know from accent. I come from near where they were. Um, other people trying producing consumer cooperation across Britain. And he wrote detailed accounts of what, they were doing and how successful they were being in the principles which got revised six six times in his lifetime i think so it's all socials socialism that we're not really familiar with i guess it's all really decentralized it's all very grassroots led it's all very
0: voluntaristic no this sort um, of pre-marxian socialism yeah, exactly, is actually yeah. one of my favorite periods because it's sort of like the beasts that walked before the dinosaurs like no yeah. one spends any time on that but there's yeah. some absolutely bonkers stuff there <laughs> fascinating <laughs> stuff there you know. Yeah,
1: um, and, I, and I think it fits together now because, you know, Mill's Mill's interest in liberty is the obvious one, right? But I also think his interest in equality is one of the things that puts him off the state running anything,
2: hmm.
1: um, and and also this sense he has, you, you've alluded to before, that any social change has is only sustainable. If there's been a corresponding change in human character, like indi- individual people's characters, and he has a complicated account, as I was saying earlier, about about how that works, like it's both it both causes change in social institutions and then social institutions kind of maintain that character um and Mill definitely thinks people's characters are in malleable. we see that in liberty right where he's just like oh the person who's now the most bigoted christian would be a super committed um buddhist if they lived in the east like yeah. you know that you have to accept that about yourself that like lots of your fundamental commitments uh are because you grew up in a certain society and we should reflect on that and it should make us more kind of tolerant and understanding other people with strong commitments but we should also have a kind of duty to reflect and and have these kind of like individual commitments so you recognize that social change is going to change people's characters but also that there won't be any social change without a change in characters and so again these kind of in what we sometimes call intentional communities like these kinds of socialism uh and cooperation which is kind of even less full scale like you you can do cooperation inside of the current economy and you can live in the same houses you already live in you don't need to go and set up a commune somewhere totally different um the only work if everyone's characters developed enough to make it work right yeah and and they and so they're themselves an education about well what do people need to be like to transform society in this kind of way and I think that's one of the things the likes about this kind of socialism it's partly also to do with his concern about security the kind of revolutionary socialist just says let's burn it all we can't possibly imagine the future until we've burnt everything Mm. that's now mill's just like yeah and yeah no because then we'll just be in the state of nature right and we already know what happens at the state of nature We've read our Hobbes and we live in it. So he says in in the chapters, you know, if we just had a massive revolution and burnt down all of our institutions, then it would take several thousand more years of misery until we got to basically where we are now. So why don't we not do that? (laughs) So he prefers socialism with a plan. um, But I think that's like more fundamental than just sort of being a bit risk averse. And I guess some people read him as being like, it's a mark of his liberalism that he said, oh, these crazy people can make whatever experiments in living they like. I think people should make experiments in living. And if they want to make experiments in socialistic living, then, like, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. Um, but I think it's probably a bit more than that. Um, he's not just, like, tolerating. He's, he's interested in and kind of committed to this as a radical means of reform, but also a feasible and accessible and sustainable means of reform, which some other plans by socialists Aren't.
0: right so it's it's not only do we want to get out from under socialism as totalitarianism yeah. i think um you know a lot of what w- what is called to mind when we say like democratic socialism mm-hmm. today is sort of like the agenda of a party platform yeah. like you know this is um I mean, this would actually be one of my critiques of contemporary democratic socialism in, say, the UK or the US, is, on the one hand, what it seems to basically want is just a list of stuff the government could do vis-a-vis the welfare state or what have you. But it couples that with a profound scepticism about electoral politics. Mm. And, like, there's actually reasons good reasons for both of those things like there's you know perfectly good reasons to have medicare for all in the u.s and there's perfectly good reasons to be skeptical about what they call electoralism or like the view that actually there are structural reasons why representative democracies aren't serving working people yeah yeah i'm not saying they just don't if you add them both together, it's just not a very inspiring political vision to say what we want is the state to deliver those things and also there's absolutely no mechanism of affecting yeah. that outcome. Yeah. Well, where does that leave <laughs> great. you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great.
0: Good job there, buddy. Um, yeah. um, But actually, Mill is interested in a bunch of people who are really being let let us say quite imaginative if probably putting it mildly right with just designing forms of social organization that aren't your traditional firm that aren't a church and that aren't a family yep. but that kind of borrow bits from all of those things yes. and mix and match and say you know when we talk about worker co-ops it's not just like, oh, there's, you know, a union in the workplace yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. These no, people I mean, like, are really letting their imaginations yes. run and wild. It, it,
1: and it's, it's also exciting because at the time, there being a union was radical, right? Yeah. People being transported for being in unions. Yeah, um, yeah and you're right. It's, it's much better. Actually, it's a really great analogy that that we take a bit of the firm and a bit of the church and a bit of the family um, particularly given Mill's like thing about a social ethos and the kind of religion that we might need to to stick us all together with the glue that makes it all like actually work gives us the inspiration on the down days gives us the kind of like sense of camaraderie with each other like gives us a kind of normative um underpinning for why what we're doing is really important
0: but it's a much more like organic ground up where you're yes. thinking about yes. What socialism yes, is. yes. Um, than modern so and also just way quirkier
1: yeah, oh uh, yeah yeah and and in that and in that sense you know very diverse because i think Mill thinks that, you know, we should all work in worker co-ops and each co-op should have its own, for instance, should have its own principles of justice that it Im- that it embeds in terms of like remuneration. And then we we sort of like we gravitate to the co-ops, which we think are doing something just mm-hmm. and which it turns out we are actually motivated enough to do our sharing. Um, so our colleagues don't try and kick us out because we free ride all the time. And that, they, they could look super different. I mean, like really excitingly different. Um, never theory, mind the kind of different yeah. stuff they might be organising if you also lived at work or like yeah. family interactions and
0: stuff the, the thing though where Mill isn't very socially, okay you. this is where we, we might disagree on our reads on Mill, is that what I freaking love about this period is it's not they all have their different ideas about how these communes are going to work they have the X, Y, and Z of it. Like, yes. Fourier yes, has this do. thing where we will live in an organisation called a phalanx. There yeah. will be exactly, I forget the number, but it's like there will be exactly 1,444
1: 1700... or something, isn't it?
0: it? Isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know, you something like that. Yeah. But there will be this, ex- not 1,443, mate. No. no.
1: No, wouldn't work. Because yeah. the harmony of the of the notes, like, is all based on octaves, right? So the harmony of the planets would be
0: completely disarranged if we did that. They, they, will, they will look exactly like this. You know they will it's... have like, and it's like
1: I anyone mean, well, can see why Marx and Engels just think it's silly,
0: right? Yeah, and I mean, on one sense it is. On the on the other, like you've got to love it, mm-hmm. but like, I, okay, okay, there's a serious point. I'm going there is that that I think that level of like it's exactly this thing makes sense mm-hmm. in a in a sort of like pluralist competitive sort of socialism where there's all mm-hmm. sorts of people doing these different things and if you don't like one go to the other you know that mm. sort of makes sense and it's not and it's like you're letting them all try it out in an age where socialism has become much more about a state program of mm. action in mm. terms of that's mm-hmm. how people yeah think about it i i um, suspicious of, and I think Mill was suspicious of, sort of fetishizing the end state and yes. saying, like, what, what politics is all really about is, like, this specific vision of, like... Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes what's going on with political debate on the left is we we're having these huge fights about, like, exactly what our fantasy worlds are going to mm-hmm. look like, and... There's a few. OK, I'll, I'll run through it really quick. But there's the reason I go on about it sometimes is I think there's a convergence of reasons that mm-hmm. I, I would give. One is that it's just a waste of time. Two is um, I think it's ineffective political communication. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it, it repels people. Um, three is we have this sort of we let the best become the enemy of the good Mm -hmm. and rather than just saying okay we have our overarching moral vision we let that get in the way of just the sort of trade-offs that ordinary politics requires of us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and then finally I think there's almost this like epistemic idea and this is in Mill and I would argue it's also in Marx actually which is the people living in a utopian society will be better than us. They will be better morally and they'll be mm. better intellectually. And they will just be much, so much better placed than us to give an account of how people should live together and what the rules of justice mm. should be. Yeah. And I think for me, someone asked me recently, like, what's your vision of like the, you know, perfect political system? And I said I really try hard not to have one. Mm. Um and there's no particular reason why all those concerns from the sort of strategic to the epistemic would run together. You know, they might go different yeah. ways. But like I just think the fact that they do line up like makes that quite a powerful like a point I feel like pushing you know and i think mill thinks in a similar sort of i don't he he's not a utopian thinker i know he uses the word mm. in the sense that he's someone who's ob- who fetishizes no, the end doesn't, he does he does and i think that's that's part of it right
1: like he he thinks we could like utopia is kind of useful word <laughs> to 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 mean for the ideal, the very fact he's willing to use it is, is another sign he's not utopian socialist because they all thought that they were being really rational, right, and it wasn't yeah. utopian in the slightest. So I think he's not utopian socialist. I mean, I guess Mill might think that there's something useful about some of this world designing that utopian socialists do because it, it does give us a radically different view. Yeah. And sometimes if, we, if somebody doesn't write the like way out there utopian vision, our own sense of the options can become perhaps more limited. Um, but I guess... Like, we also shouldn't think about the history of socialists being that kind of utopian or Marx, because there was a whole host of other people that we sometimes club together as utopian socialists, but they didn't have this kind of blueprinting and they you, weren't they well, weren't you, fighting each other over like the minutiae. Like all the cooperatives, all yeah. the cooperators, right? The essence of cooperation is you take what you've got and you start from here, mm. and but you transform capitalism from the inside. Mm. Like cooperation is about working people with hardly any money, saving like fractions of pence every week. So they can buy a bag of flour and yeah. sell it to each other and not at, at cost price. Right. And not have to pay the profits. And then next week you can buy two. Well, probably not even next week, but next yeah. month you can buy two. Right. It's tiny, tiny fractal. And they'll, you know, sings their praises in real, like eulogizing of, of working people, particularly working people who save enough money to buy tools and, and therefore like start to emancipate themselves and what he calls the yoke of paying capital to like paying rent to capitalists. Um, And that isn't a utopian vision. Like, cooperative organisations could be organised on a whole range of different means, and they were, um, whatever worked and some of them didn't work. And you know, some of it didn't work for structural, kind of practical reasons, like the law didn't allow joint ownership, and so one person would have the funds and then just abscond with them. Sometimes it didn't work because people aren't very good at actuarial calculations and they gave each other too much credit because they knew each other and they were trying to be nice, but that doesn't work. Um, But lots of the time it did, right? And so, I guess mill is kind of interested in these like more crazy but i guess even then like he doesn't think Simonianism is practical it's just like it's an interesting challenge to how we might think of society um but he did think some elements of consideron's version of furia were more or less practicable and certainly it's like we're interestingly engaging with the kinds of questions you have to engage with as a social scientist and reformer like what do you do about people's kind of innate competitiveness? What do we do about the fact that people have quite strong views about what's fair? And they might be wrong, but they, have, they hold them really strongly and that will stop them putting up with certain kinds of um, distributions that, of, of things they've worked for. And so I guess, yeah, maybe we look back on socialism and just think it's either Marx and therefore all the state or it's the kind of crazies. And again, I think that is, it's a real paucity about understanding the history of socialism and then also what socialism could be now. Because um, obviously now we have like social democracy and we might think it's like, about capturing the state um, and wielding the power of the state in favour of the majority class, not the minority classes. Um, and Mill's really anxious about that thought too, right? Because he thinks that leads to oppression of different sets of people um, and it's all based on like antagonism. Um, but on the other hand, it's not to say that he didn't think legal reform was necessary like he himself campaigned for lots of different kinds of legal reform that would have made it easier to be a cooperative and also all the things like women in the vote and divorce and um and i guess to some extent that's also the case with mill some of this stuff is is, is more utopian like he's really looking to the future but he, he definitely thinks that the ideal future is, is closed off from us. you know it says in the principles of economy if we got to a stage of like much reform capitalism what we did next would be for those people to decide right based on utilitarian calculations Hmm. we can't make that decision for them we've got literally no idea what it would look like but here are some key thoughts that might arise if we had these different organizations and that's a really different project to like should we have the providential Providential societies act
2: Hmm.
0: which answers yes okay so here's a clarifying question though because do you think I guess when I talked about utopian thinking, Mm. I was thinking in terms of modern socialism. Right, yeah. Like, I'm not... I try to avoid a specific end state for, like, this is what's going to happen when we capture the state. Yes, sort of thing, right? But, but, I mean, I think you want to influence the state and have left-wing parties elected and do certain things, right? Yeah. I'm not an anti-electoralist. I think that matters. It's one of many things, but it matters. I think, hang on, where was, I was, where was I going with that? Is that, like, that instinct you described in Mill is mine. You have a direction of travel, certainly. Yeah. You yeah. have moral values and political values mm. that you're, you're interested in. And you could probably sort of sketch out some broad features of where it is you'd like to go. It would be more equal. Yes. Right, that sort of thing, <laughs> yes. right, but you you don't have the detailed blueprint, no, there might be detailed blueprints in 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 the smaller case, like you might have a specific plan for how to put together a cooperative, yeah, you know, but you yes. don't have a detailed blueprint for your overall this yes. is how society's gonna look that is that is exactly how I think about political time, right. Um, I guess my question is just like, a, a, you know, do we think that, uh, do we think that is like a uniquely liberal thing? Because it seems almost like, almost a little dismissive of socialism to say that socialism couldn't have that conception of social time. And that there, yeah. the, the socialism isn't just revolutionary socialism. There's no, a long exactly. history of it's And it's, and it's also not just utopian socialism
1: where we have to like somehow magic ourselves there
0: yeah right. i think i think socialism has a tendency towards utopianism that mm. can sometimes get the better of it frankly um but that's i don't know i could almost make the case both ways i would say that the conception of social time that you just outlined there has definite liberal vibes for me but i don't see an in-principle reason
1: so i so i guess one one is one thing to think about maybe, like Mill has this view that we have he talks about, this, he has this metaphor of the North Star, right? Mm. There's, like a, there's like a thing we should be aiming at but it guides our everyday action and it's not a thing we're going to reach because <laughs> so, so if you want, he has this you know, if you want to navigate from London to the Port of Hull, mm. then you, you would want to use the North Star to tell you you're going in the right direction mm. but you're not actually navigating to the North Star, right? Mm. That would be weird <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get Hull um, and so I think he does. He thinks that one of the one of the reasons we should we should think about our actual ends is because they are the north star, right? Mm-hmm. But he's very aware that we might never achieve them. In fact, even achieving them might not quite be the plan, like because it's never going to happen. Like it's in a different realm <laughs> um, in that sense. Um, but we should definitely be aiming in that direction we should use them as our guiding principles and that's one of the ways in which we should be assessing mm-hmm. like contemporary political reform is like well does it take us any closer to the north right does it get as is that going to take us you know i don't know up the east coast that's a good start or are you sending me like back round towards cornwall which is definitely not the right answer if i want to get to Hull from london so and i guess i wonder whether whether liberals have that there's anything more than just like, well, we should be free. Not that that's an important concept. Whether, I think some liberals would just say, well, that's a really perfectionist uh, attitude or something. Like they would just assume the idea that there's a goal or and that there should be these relatively thick normative claims. But because otherwise, I don't think that socialists can't have a kind of like practical concept of social time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that the thing is that the trickiness with this is this conception of social time, which I've stated I'm an adherent on, I almost wonder if it lives somewhere in the middle. It occupies some space in the middle of the spectrum between liberalism I and socialism. I also, I guess, yeah,
1: I'm also wondering whether it's not. It's, because if you whether go. It's, whether think. it's ideologically wedded to anything, or whether it's just an attitude. It's, it's you know the, the attitude, you know the attitude of somebody who is both a theorist and engaged in politics, which is what Mill is, right? Mill no, was actually an MP, and he was a reform. It was you know a reform campaigner for decades before that. Hmm. Um, he recognises that there are differences between what you'll what you'll achieve next week in Parliament if you can build a coalition around it, hmm. and what would be best, <laughs> um, and that there's a whole range of things in between. and We might never get to best, and. I think it's sometimes right. people are just like I don't want to do the compromising. It's sort of hmm. normatively problematic, and they might just think we have to have the revolution, hmm. um, or they just disengage from. You know, they go and found a, a utopian society in, in what they think of as an occupied territory in Texas or whatever. Right, it obviously, wasn't occupied, but they think about it as like new, new worlds. Um, but. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say there's anything that for any ideology that means you have to have this sort of pragmatic, but guided by deeply rooted normative principles, view of how social change comes about. Like I think you could be a Tory and think that.
0: Mm, I, hang on, though. I think. Um... I think, no, I I think what defines ideological traditions in large part is their view of social time. I think, I mean, yes, you could be a Tory and think that, but I would argue there's something about that vision of the world in which social time is charting new ground. You're exploring new things. The society of the future might be and ideally will be something that has not existed before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that it's core conservatism is the idea that there are fundamental things structuring how the social world works which are knowable and predictable and preservable and that to the extent that you you get away from that um that 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 you're going to be in trouble be those things the laws of economics traditional gender roles god what have you but there is like There is like a core thing of how this works, that you you get away from it, your peril, and conservatism is about getting back to it. I I think that it would be difficult to hold that thought and what we've described in your head together at the same time. It would be difficult to hold a truly revolutionary ethic and this more sort of North Star ethic together in your head at the same time. No. So I
1: mean, I think so. I think I mean because Mill isn't in entirely anti-revolutionary, right? Sometimes he just thinks there's too much blockage in the system, like people, you know, structurally it's all stacked up against progress. It's being obdurate, like it, the system and the people in charge are being obdurate. So in the end, you just need to take out arms, right? So he, what he thinks about 1789, what so one he thinks about 1848. Um, so some sometimes. You know, you know where you're going. You know, you just can't get there. Like I don't know. To extend the metaphor, there's a blockage in the channel, and you just got bought up with some dynamite. Like yeah. otherwise, you're not you're not going to get there. So, so I don't think it's even completely necessarily opposed to a revolutionary outlook either. I agree. There's some there are some people thinking about the only, the literally only way we could properly transform society for the better because everything about it is rotten. Yeah, that's the am down, right? Because we can't even conceive or interact with when each I say other. Yeah. and yeah. that and that. But not only socialists have thought that, right? Mm. Some far-right ideologies think that too, right? Um, I, I, th-
0: I think, though, the difference is what's on the other side of that. So you have yeah, a moment... Yeah, so but I just
1: mean, like, in terms of... There's a, one of these things is like a process question, isn't it? How do we get to the yeah. best? Um, and one of them is a what is the best question. And I I just, I I mean, I guess I just, I mean, we we might just have to agree to disagree, but I think, I just don't think that it is true that only liberals have that sort of pragmatic, but guided by an all-star principle. I don't think lots of liberals have that anyway, but I don't think that only liberals um, could have this particular concept of political time. I just think anybody who's been involved in politics, democratic politics, right, will, will have this, or they'll have the opposite of like, God, it's so frustrating and slow, um, we just need a tyrant to come in and sort all out. To revert back to Plato, we are talking about earlier yeah, as well, yeah. in terms of how people think about um, their disappointments in democracy.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, and yeah, maybe we should move on because it seems like this is like. But, but, no, no, look. Um, I'm not. It's not exclusive. It's not a property of all liberals. There's certainly ways if we, you know move towards the more liberal end of the spectrum that liberals can think about social time in ways that are profoundly unhelpful um so time does you know time does not have a direction tomorrow is not guaranteed to be better than yesterday it's not all just a line on the graph going up there can also be a sort of liberal relativism i guess it's just like well you have your ideas and i have mine and like the fact of pluralism is somehow yeah. itself its foundation, right? Yeah. So there's... there's an, or, or, like, the fact that, like, something can command an overlapping consensus is itself its normative justification. Yeah. Like, yes, there's ways of thinking about social progress in, in liberalism that, in their own way, are as misguided as the, like, we'll have a revolution and then perfect justice will ensue on the other side, right? Um... And I think clearly that sort of ethos is not unique to liberalism either. It's there in, I don't know, Bernstein's evolutionary socialism or something, I'd argue, yeah. has that kind of vibe to it. I do think, as an empirical looking at the world and how we categorize ideologies, mm. and here I'm, I think, channeling our mutual. Yeah tutor Michael Friedman, yeah, right? Yeah. I think there are certain recurring themes that need no no one of which is like that's what liberalism is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that will sort of clue you in as to where you are. Um and one of them, you said it's sort of like a, like just a sort of more practical. I almost see it as like a visualisation thing. Like, what is going on in your head? What's your picture in your head when you're thinking about this? And I think for liberals, it's like a staircase with a light at the top of it, right? Like, we're going up and up and getting better and better yeah. in pursuit of a general but undefined ideal, right? Yeah. And you see that in our visual metaphors, right? Uh-huh. Um for some, not all, but some socialists, it really is just this it's like you blow up the building and you make a yeah. new building. You're, you're yeah. picturing something different. And conservatives it's an ideal from which we have fallen. Right? You, it's just a different set of visualisations. Now that's not exact. The visualisation of like social change that I'm saying is liberal-ish is also socialist-ish. It's somewhere on the progressive end. Um, but it is one of the markers I would look at in how I categorize things? One, not the only one.
2: sort
1: of No, I suppose that, I mean what we talk about right at the start, I think before you start recording of like, uh, Mill's really famous a liberal, right? Calls himself a socialist, what do we do with this apparent um, dichotomy? And like, you know, one one thought might be, you know, Mill's willing to compromise on things, he takes he's, he's willing to engage in practical politics, he is interested in a, a very incremental approach, an experimental approach, a kind of empirically informed approach. And and yeah, some of those things we might, I guess, think of as liberal. But I don't know if that's partly just because liberalism's expanded to take like the extent to which it's just synonymous with centrism and nothing that's too extreme and like doing politics. Um, but yeah, if you want, to, if you think, if we want to call that liberal for other reasons, like liberals tend to be interested in empirical data and like in order to inform, they don't they're not going to take it on trust, that'd be better if we all do X. They want to kind of see. Um they want to take people along with them in in terms of like voluntariness and it's got to be chosen and people should consent to these changes and people should be involved in them. Uh, rather than just being like, well, this band of like informed like visionaries can capture the state and transform it and like, trust me, proles, it will be better for you. Um but again, I think that that is perhaps relying on a bit of a caricatured view of socialism, particularly socialism historically. Like, what else was cooperation but that grassroots-led, voluntaristic, empirically informed, experimental, everybody had to consent to it. You can't force somebody into a cooperative in, like, the way cooperatives emerged um, in, in Britain and France in the 19th century, even if there was forced collectivisation in other forms of socialism, right? Um I don't know, collectivism and cooperation aren't quite the same either, but so I guess, yeah, I guess I think it's it's maybe not entirely, there are where of every thinking about it and there are people on different elements of it. And I also think it, it leads to, you know, to a, a wider question that's interesting about, about Mill and socialism and to what extent liberalism and socialism are just diametrically opposed, like still fighting the Cold War, facing yeah. each other off again, across Europe, um, or whether we can, liberalism's, something else that there could plausibly be what Rawls calls liberal socialism right and whether that would be any more than just saying it's not state centric socialism mm-hmm. um and I, and I guess maybe this view of progress and transition and how we get there and that so I guess because I guess one of the other important things about this view of time that Mill has is that it's really important that the the process in itself is of normative value yes um like it, it wouldn't and that's both for empirical reasons Of Mill just thinks people can't change like magic mm. and he he says at one point you know, there'll need to be a um a, a significant change in the characters of both employees and employed mm. employees and employed to in order to like transform society it's not it's not just one um and there'll obviously need to be a massive transformation in characters of men and women to in order to really have equal marriages and like all these other the things that Mill's committed to, so their process becomes both like. Factually, like empirically important, but I think it's also normatively important. um And so, if you could, if could kind of wave a magic wand, probably you might, even though he might not want to do it, like even though that might be a massive utility gain, because I think he'd be worried about how sustainable it was. Yeah,
2: he, he and, and and, and, whether, it was, no. do, and
1: whether it, it was you know, and also the men men that do it, yeah also that it really was going to be a massive utility gain, I think he's very cautious about one person having the idea that one person has all the answers, and so I think it is important that he says the people of the future will be competent to decide. This kind of idea of competence in Mill is really important, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure he thinks that we're competent to know what the best future will look like, but we're definitely competent to make some pretty strong claims about how radically different this society could be, and it would be much, much better, Mm -hmm. and so we should be putting them in action. And when we get there, then we can make the next step.
0: Yeah, I think. Let me work through this. I think, yeah, definitely when we think about liberalism versus socialism, we're definitely talking spectrum. Right. Mm. Because like to take this idea of like the, the view of political time that we have, that's. I, I do think a marker that you're in a certain region of the political landscape. You, so you're in, like, progressive liberal to democratic socialist. Um, but it's not unique. It's not a... And I'm not sure there is. I'm not sure there's a point where you could say... I mean, I'm sure someone can think of one, but you'd always find a billion counterexamples. examples. I, I do... It, it's various just gradations, right? And I think this is actually particularly true if you spend too much time on on politics Twitter, which I do, there's a lot of sort of liberal versus socialist or radical leftist or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for people who what they want to achieve in the world is 95% the same. Like, for all the talk about, oh, liberals are mealy-mouthed and sort of incrementalist losers, essentially, and um, radicals are just crazy kids in their mum's basement who are never ever going to actually change the world and there's a lot of rhetoric but it's like let's just go down the list you know we want more people to have healthcare we want more egalitarianism um, we're, we're generally against racism and sexism and so on like the actual program of state action which again is what both of them are aiming for pretty much the same um, you could maybe put some stuff on there like in the US you've got different visions of how you get more people healthcare but the less people
1: dying is still the same goal yeah
0: and that's the biggest one i can think of there's no daylight on like abortion or anything like that you know um and i i just sort of think that yeah like a lot of it He's, he's sort of rhetorical differences and, like, people who sort of been... But I, I do think, like, modern liberalism has sort of clawed itself back a little from the sort of centrist, third-way liberalism of, like, Clinton or Blair or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's now getting to a place that has a much more mature and nuanced relationship with the market, um, that is more overtly egalitarian, that's green, um, and mm-hmm. that's more... That's more taking seriously, sort of, social justice critiques. Yep. At the same time, modern socialism isn't as radical as it thinks it is. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like Bernie Sanders' entire platform is maybe if we were a bit more like Denmark. My... I don't, I don't disagree. That yeah, sounds it's, it's fine. But, it's, uh, but yeah. you're not talking the international here, like, you know. And yeah. so I, I actually think, like, like actually in modern terms there's not that much to be had. And I always try to position myself a little bit between both camps and just like some things from both and critique some things from both. But I, I don't think the only push, the only like thing with the spectrum is it's not about. It, I don't think it's a matter of well, maybe we do a little bit of revolution.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, you're not just homogenizing everything. No, yeah. I think the stuff you want to take from socialism is solidarity, and I think the stuff you want to take from liberalism is let's not lose sight of individualism and liberty and pluralism. Let's not let the other stuff overwhelm that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's a full stop at the end of that. It's just um, <laughs> some of my reactions to what you said. Um.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean obviously there's kind of there's people kind of bought into Mill being a liberal of a certain kind because they want to do a certain kind of um, to use him as a weapon in certain kinds of, of political fights, right? And so I guess one reason that I thought the book well it is controversial and people have pushed back against me when I've been presenting on it and stuff at mm-hmm. conferences and things, because they don't really want to lose Mill from their arsenal in mm-hmm. some respects. Um, but, and so sometimes I think it's a little bit soft peddling to be like, well, it can be both because it could you,
2: be a little you, you, you won't know he's a socialist. I think I kinda,
1: but I know it's more that I want to say, yeah, I think you can be a liberal socialist on certain understandings of liberal, where liberal means like you care about individual mm-hmm. flourishing and, um, you know, that you are committed to, I, I, I'm not very good at ever quoting Marx, but like that the, full flourishing of each will be dependent on the full flourishing of all right like mill thinks that mill thinks that (laughs) and and it just so it doesn't you know it doesn't detract from the full flourishing commitment but it it you can't also i don't want i don't want it to be sort of too diluted from the all (laughs) commitment and that that takes radical transformation and so i guess what i would see like, I think Mill can be a liberal socialist in the sense that he's committed to grassrootsness, voluntariness, like, it should be organic, it should be, like, led by individual people, it should, it it always has to recognise the importance of individuals as individuals who, like, have the best judges of their own uh, utility because utility is a fundamental thing, right? So I can't just oppress these millions of people for small gains in production um, because that's not the point, like, production's not the point, the the point is the happiness. So um, I think Mill, you know, thinking more seriously about socialism that does take every individual's flourishing seriously and recognises that it is the, like, it is the goal, but it's also all the contingent on everybody getting that, um, is an important one. I guess maybe my thought that's more, that is where socialism and liberalism really kind of have to pull apart to some extent, is is your fundamental view about the market and about capitalism. Um, And I think when we talk about Mill as a liberal socialist, then people are like, oh, it's because he was a market socialist. And we all know that market socialists so aren't really socialists, right? They're not, there's nothing, you know, um, yeah, okay, maybe we could just have a bit more worker uh, input on boards, you know, maybe more of a German model or something. And like, we'd still basically capitalism. We might just have capitalism that works a bit better or works a bit better for certain people like you know, the fewer poor people. Um, and I think Mill's much more radical than that, even Nobody when he's willing to make, you know, as we were just talking about, to recognise you can't just get rid of the market tomorrow. Oh, that's not going to, people will starve. Um, but he doesn't think you should have the market in 100 years, let's say. Yeah. Or certainly not the market as we as we tend to think about it. I'm still pushing my thoughts. I don't have much time to do it because I work on something else now. But, you know, um, the, last thing I, the last thing I published before I started on this work was about whether Mill really was a market socialist and kind of thinking through, you know, what does the market mean? And like, obviously, there'll be exchange in a socialist future because Mill wants us to benefit from specialisation. Um, but whether that would be like with prices, <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Whether it would be about demand, like just just governed by demand and supply not sure, like how that would kind of actually play out in a future Um, and certainly I think lots of the mechanisms we think of as the market now like money, shops, those kind of things might, it would look radically different in a properly cooperative future Mm -hmm. and so I think, yeah, so on the one hand, yeah, absolutely Mills is a liberal socialist in that he cares about individual people Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes bad versions of socialism don't care about individual people, they're happy to see them die as it were Um, but on the other hand, like, he's not liberal in the sort of capitalist supporting thing. And maybe for me, the bigger distinction, like, if you're a socialist, it's because it's not because, but like, oh, maybe it is. <laughs> you are an anti-capitalist, right? And there can be other kinds of anti-capitalist, right? But that that's kind of key. And so I think lots of other forms of socialism are, like, useful compromises with the fact we don't think we can get rid of capitalism so let's capture the state and have wealth like proper welfare policies and protect people as much as possible but i still think if you're that kind of socialist you think people need protecting from something that often doesn't work in everybody's interests um, and perhaps should be reformed and these are ways of trying to like protect people or do some kind of incrementalist reform and i think mill's is much more radical than that
0: and arguably much more radical than a lot of contemporary socialism which is kind of a market economy with some extra stuff yeah and
1: sometimes i think that's because people think they can't you can't win elections if you're anti the market Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe they have different private views and sometimes i think no people think people think that they're socialist and that they are the capitalism is a good thing it just needs to be tamed in some
2: yeah
0: i I or
1: people are cushioning from its worst effects or something in different kinds of ways.
0: Yeah, I also though do think, and this is just such a banal observation, but that we, we're all of us reading this text through the particular moment in political time that, that we're yeah. in. Yeah, as, as and, we all do, with
1: all text, right? Yeah, yeah. Of
0: course. Um, so, okay, that's a banal insight. Um, but, like, um, I think, like, the, like... I don't know if this is what you meant with people approaching the text with like a, an agenda, but like the sort of libertarian free speech bro, you know, that read of Mill, um, isn't a coherent read. It just doesn't work analytically. It's hard to make sense of Mill with that read. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my instinct in in I don't know what I think about this. I'm not even sure I have a strong opinion. I'm just being difficult for the sake of it. Um, yeah. But, like, I, can, I think my instinct in wanting to hang on to liberal in some sense, and you can staple liberal onto something else if you want, but having it at least be on one side of the hyphen... Yeah. I think my instinct is, I think, because of the particular moment that we're in, which is actually quite modern, I would say, post-Reagan and Thatcher revolutions, mm-hmm. yeah. which were... Yeah at least nominally, although sometimes quite hypocritically libertarian, but then also the sort of capitulation of the centre-left after that, in which they said, OK, no, we agree, market's good, but maybe could we do markets and some other stuff, right? Yes. In that world, we've, we've flattened out the entire history of liberalism to libertarianism. Yes. We've, we've, we've gone back and we've said this particular thing we have now of atomized individuals and homo economicus and like like a market that isn't a useful tool but is the framework in which everything else is assessed that is what liberalism is about and it's always been about and you can see the antecedents of it in Locke and then Mill gives you the free speech side Adam Smith gives you blah 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 and that isn't the liberal tradition and I have a, a bugbear with it both for just historical accuracy reasons yes yeah. But also, like, like moral reasons, mm. right? Like, and again, if he was only one, I maybe wouldn't get as annoyed by it. But given that it's both, um, and I, and I think because, like I say, the centre-left, at least say in the UK and the US, did sort of, at least partially, capitulate post, post Reagan and though, I think we we sometimes then, we meaning, I guess, what I imagine your political persuasions are and mine, really sort of tie liberalism to the market, because that is what it has been when we were mm-hmm. growing up. Yes. But the, the, the relationship in history, I don't know, is muddier and complicated, and Mill's a good example of that. In On Liberty, he's like, the liberty principle doesn't apply to trade and economic interactions if you if yeah. you want to justify that it has to be justified on its own terms and then you could maybe make the move and say well okay well maybe mill isn't a liberal then which is the move you're making
1: but... um, no so, so yeah i mean just on that specific point i don't think because he says that he's not a liberal i think liberals can and, and probably should um think that i think you know you can be a, a left liberal, mm. but you know, there's, and there's a lot, and there's a lot of rich philosophy done under that aegis, mm. um, and there's lots of interesting ways in which you might, they are, and one might into, you know, re reimagine, you know, like more stakeholding ideas out of Tom Paine or something into, you know, well, actually that's what makes people free. It's not inheriting money when you're 60 because your parents have now sadly died. It's getting a chunk of money, maybe twenty one. You need capital, and, and you know, like and and our concepts of property owner democracy can be quite interesting. That, that sounds like a, you know can be really interesting. <laughs> I don't mean, just quite, do you know, what I mean, like it's all fascinating stuff. Um, but I guess it is. It's rooted in something, right? Something that it shares a little bit of turn at least in terms of like property owningness, and you don't have to, but you don't have to be committed to self ownership, which I guess libertarians probably are if they don't know it. I think you can, you know, can be. Left but there's still sort of this sense that um, yeah, that there's that Something good about property, maybe that's all I mean, and maybe that's as far as down as it goes, or something like that. Like that, um, or just a different attitude. And then, and then you, then you encapsulating like a, a much broader sweep of history, right? I mean, liberalism's quite new. We sort of forget that as well, and and it's hard to diff- maybe to pick out, you know, different forms of radicalism that Mill was growing up with. Where do you constitute the French Revolution? Where do you put the Girondin? And Mill, Mill was a fan of the Girondin, um, but where would you then put his own Benthamite utilitarianism, like? the Whigs and the tories didn't like it didn't like them right that's why there was this sort of new radicalism uh, as an idea and the con- the, the commitment of radicalism you see some of them in lots of different modern ideologies right because people have picked up on different elements of them so you know I've got no idea what party man would vote for if he was around today could be something really crazy like you know like you were unexpected could be the greens like do do you know what i mean that you're not the ones you might you might associate that he could you think he was a liberal or something
0: um oh i think it would in the context of the uk that is an open question who mill is yeah right
1: try. and, it, and I think it's because you can't possibly know the answer to because actually we don't know enough about you know did he make pragmatic choices at the ballot box or choices? <laughs> no yeah. like, what constituency would he be living in? would you have wondered also about just like policy? the whole
0: landscape yeah. of electoral but i just,
1: you point, know, yeah. so just i just think like maybe it's something about that like i think one of the things mill sees cooperation doing is radically transforming property and our concept of property and one of the things that he cares about when he talks about like justice in in his considerations about egalitarianism is both which he recognizes in utilitarianism obviously the book um justice is like we feel it like there's <laughs> an innate, innate sense of fairness but that sense of fairness is very different across time and across cultures right um but we, people do a very strong sense about it and he recognizes that in his own, in his own society People have a really strong commitment to the fairness of like what you get back should be proportioned in some way to what you put in. Yes. Right? And so one of the reasons people think contemporary forms of capitalism is unfair is because working people put it all in, and some people who want some capital and let other capitalists use it get most out. Um and so and Mill recognises the injustice of that. He has really, you know. Rhetorically strong and powerful passages on how awful it is that people who do the most, the longest, the most um, exhausting physical labor never have a guarantee that they'll they'll be food on the table when they get home, that mm. like they'll be able to feed them and their families, um, whereas people who do pretty cushy jobs like him <laughs> um, are pretty pretty much always guaranteed, right, that there'll be money, um, and that actually sometimes you think that the effort required diminishes with the amount of money you get in return. And so one of the claims you you know really sees coming strongly out of working class politics is that this is unfair. Yeah. And like and Mill recognises unfair and he's recognised it's a powerful thought and I think we probably also agree. Like we might agree that it's unfair. And then he says in Chats on Property, it was just like, but well, what kind of concept of fairness is that? Like, why should we think that what you put in has any respect has any like um why should it be that what you put in has any connection to what you get out like on the one hand yeah sure if you put nothing in you get loads out that doesn't look great mm. but perhaps that's because of how it's structured at the minute for who it is he puts nothing in and gets lots out whereas actually he's committed to from each according to their capacities to each according to their knees as the highest principle of justice and that involves quite a few people putting nothing in but getting lots out right people who need a huge amount of social support and care um for instance oh. <laughs> um, people in comas, right? Put nothing in, but they need a lot of resources to keep them alive. Um, and I think, it, you know, he has these radical passages of like, we just need to change people's character so they're not wedded to what he sees as quite a reactionary to some extent or like unprogressive view
2: hmm.
1: that what you put in should be related to what you get out. On the other hand, he also thinks that society would be radically better if we did actually apply that principle. It's just it wouldn't be best yet because there's a different fundamental principle. And I don't, I mean, this might not be that liberals have to think that, but I think it just is a sign of like, all the more expansive concepts of justice, where there isn't this tie between individuals and your effort. And there's no dessert theory um, are also what Mill's about. And they start to pull away from at least other forms of even left liberalism, right?
0: I think, oh, we, we've gone way over. Sorry. I find this, yeah, so, I, I find this so fascinating. Um, <laughs> okay. So, you are actually persuading me here um, with some of the points about, like, dessert and so on, that, yeah, you are sort of persuading me, actually, that 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 side of things might be, at the sort of deep philosophical level, might be Mm. better categorised under the socialist header than a liberal one, Because, like, okay, so you started that with, like, what's the relationship between, like, liberalism and, like, property holding, right? Because I would say my view, and I think Mills too, actually, is that my defence of property rights would be pretty thin. I would Mm -hmm. say because of autonomy and security, you know, I do think it would be... It, it is nice that people have a set of things that they can claim exclusive control over,
2: yeah.
0: um particularly stuff like a house and so on, but like yeah. I've got yeah, I could take your shoes, yeah all sorts of stuff whatever whatever does it for you right it's 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 good for autonomy to have that, and also like you you sort of want people to be able to for again autonomous reasons plan out tomorrow and the next day, so they should yeah. be reasonably confident in that lasting over time. So that gives you some sort of property, but it's pretty thin because at no point do I appeal to some sort of, like, historic chain of custody Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Nozak does. It doesn't really matter to me where that comes from, um, as long as it's not, like, beating someone up or something, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think it... You know, the, the thing where you try and trace who owned it and was it freely traded and, like, just, my God, who cares, right? I also think that Mill is... It's not, it's also uncoupled from dessert, right, in that, like, I think, like you say, the socialist critique is twofold. It's one, is that capitalism and meritocracy doesn't do what it says it's doing, but it's two, even if it did, like, so what? Like, I would, you know, at at, at root, I don't think the distinctions we try to make between what's luck and external circumstance and what's really you, hold up like i think capacity to work hard or you know have the type of skills that a particular labor market might value Mm -hmm. that is just another form of luck in a sense right so yeah so like my my i was going to reach for an ideological label i'll just leave it neutral for now um my ideal my, my sort of political philosophic deep values would be yeah, some form of property, maybe for like autonomy and security reasons. But no, no okay, so what does, but not because of cell phones. Yeah, that's a question or, about what, what do
1: you mean by property? So, like, can you, you might, it might be useful, it might be good that you have exclusive and secure use rights, right? And I think, and Mil, I'm sure, i you're absolutely positive, I would agree, right? It's helpful to know that your house will still be, there's always somebody else sleeping in your bed when you go home tonight, right? right. Like, because, <laughs> and you'll be homeless. Um, But does it mean you can leave it to somebody? Like, does it mean there are no rules for who you can sell it to? Can you sell it? Like, I mean, you know, do we have that kind of concept
2: of transfer?
1: These these are all other questions, aren't they? They they, they lead to power differentiations and they lead to structural inequalities. Um, And so, you know, Mill's radically opposed to inheritance of, of basically all kinds.
0: Which I, I think I would agree with Mill, at least, on the, on the principle of the thing. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like you know, Nozak has this thing of liberty disrupts patterns. And it's like, yeah. you know, because Nozak's like, OK, we can do a redistribution. But then yeah. after that, anything that happens, we have to live with. And my yeah. attitude has just been, well, why?
1: Yeah, exactly why? <laughs> yeah,
0: couldn't we do the redistribution? And then if things get a bit too unequal, we course correct again? Like, that seems fine to me. I guess the broader point I was going to make is, in my gut... So this is where you've, you've put a point to me that has, has landed, is in my gut, I want to say that's, that's liberal, what I'm describing to you. However, yeah. as a matter yeah. of actually observing the world, meritocracy and desert and that whole logic of capital does a lot of work mm. in liberalism. It's something that's yeah. brought up by them a lot and really just if you, you know, just talk to liberals, you will often get that sort of model logic underpinning what So as a purely mm-hmm. empirical thing, I think I'm forced to concede that that much more substantive property-holding liberalism mm-hmm. is at yes. least a very common form of liberalism, right? Yeah, um, I just, I mean, it's, I
1: mean, Not that liberalism itself can't change, but if you think about other foundational texts of liberalism, like defences of the small state or like defenses of rights, like property rights are really central, right? Yeah. Like in Locke and, and also in Hobbes and other people that you might you might be thinking of. And so I think Mill's radical challenge to the concept and the usefulness. And certainly the naturalness, which is one of the things he always he's always taken aim at, right? These things that we say are natural those can't be changed, but they aren't in the slightest natural. <laughs> uh, the naturalness of property rights that we just treat them as given. Um I mean it certainly aligns, aligns him much more at the very least you can say it, aligns him much more with historical socialism than historical liberalism of, of his own day and you can see why he was talking about himself as being a socialist. But I do I think this what he what he really wants which is this like proper disconnect between what you put in and what you expect out. Yeah. I, I think liberals think I think liberals would defend that connection.
0: I think a lot of liberals would. Yeah, I'm someone who calls themselves a liberal maybe like i say as one side of a hyphen yeah or with something else stapled on yeah i, ve- I vary <laughs> between like, sometimes i sometimes say progressive liberal to just signal yeah. i'm on the left side of this yeah yeah
1: yeah but
0: like i i'm actively opposed to that connection and i think this idea of like you get in what you put out even as a moral ideal yeah. um is is at the is at the Autumn is serving as justification for just mountain ranges of society destroying garbage um but again i guess you'd have to say well how representative am i and like as an empirical matter or is there something really just about if you do radically reject that are you in some sense I don't know. I don't have a an radically. And, 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 and I, the I could, other thing I could is, be talked into that proposition. I think. Maybe. I think.
1: What, I mean, you know, we talked about at the start like, again. I think before we first record. But like, I don't know if there's one magic thing that's like a necessary and sufficient condition of socialism, yeah. and it's you can't if you have it, you can't be liberal. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I just think you know there might be there is shared ground. You know, they're both they're both modern political theories. They're responding to the same sorts of historical events and contingencies socialism is probably also like responding to liberalism as a response to mm. to modernity um and liberalism's modern liberalism is responding to a de- you know a century of trying socialism of different kinds and, and seeing how that went and also trying more rampant forms of capitalism and we might think that modern socialism and liberals are both responding to this sort of new stage of capital, globalized capitalism that even you know as different time marks saw empire working cause it's not it's not got the same quite the same dynamics and Certainly, don't think you'd imagine the sort of global supply chains we have today and the like you know, all the things that we see. I know people, it annoys me that people call it late state capitalism because I'm like, oh, there's no guarantee it's late, right? It's just current stage capitalism and it's different to early. <laughs> um, but anyway, you might, you know, obviously ideologies change and the and the and part of that's because they interact and they interact with history and they're made by real people who have different, you know, differing reactions to stuff. So it might be that. There is a lot, huge amount of shared ground. I just think after a bit, you start identifying all these different things in Mill that look really like socialism.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and after a bit, I, you know, yeah, you can still say... Uh, so I think I probably would probably call him a liberal socialist, not like a socialist, but only because I think the first one is a modifier of the thing they really are.
2: Mm, or like okay. more, you know,
1: kind of more fundamentally are. Okay. You'd be, you, you know, you be a utopian socialist. You can be a democratic socialist. You can be a liberal socialist. You can... Um, but as I say, I would, I would, don't, I don't want it to... I think there's a danger that it waters down in our heads before we like read it, how radical Mills mm. views are. I don't think there are that many lefties mm. <laughs> broadly speaking today mm. who would totally endorse Mills radical agenda because it is seriously radical. The and then I guess it's... the other thing to yeah. think about just in terms of like, because to some extent, labelling mill might not be a super interesting project in that, you know, I think it's more interesting just to kind of like here's what he really thought. Mm. Um, he called it a qualified socialism, but you know, you, you can call it what you like. Um but as long as you actually do oh, not mean you it's one in that sense, um actually is really seeing what he said because we tend to see him as a certain kind of classical liberal, I think, or think that classical liberalism is what Mill is and as he's not that <laughs> it shows us A, you know there's more expansiveness for people calling themselves liberals hmm. um, and B, there are these wide varieties of roads not travelled by socialists because it's all become quite dominated by either being an unap- unapologetic kind of like Soviet socialist hmm. or uh, having to like endlessly defend yourself about why you're not one of them, hmm. as if that's the only kind of socialism there has been or could be
0: Yeah, you're either Bernie um, Sanders or Stalin
1: yeah, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Are yeah, you either Keir Starmer or Stalin, right? Like, it's yeah. just, like, you're rather really centrist, um, or you're not. Um, and I think, again, it's also quite interesting that it, you know, that it happened here. Like, Mill, Mill's engaging with, consumer cooperation was invented here in Britain, right, in Lancashire, in East Lancashire, and also in Brighton. Um, and so uh, that we, we maybe it helps challenge our view, you know, that, that Britain's always been sort of a conservative slash liberal, Like, what are British values? Well, some of them are these, right? Um, This is an important part of our history. I mean, it's the same as in America, like, radical kinds of socialism. All these crazy French socialists go into America to try their ideas out. And I don't think anybody would imagine, like, a socialist history of America, right? Like, you don't don't think about it as a country that has one. And yet, when you read about these French socialists, when they went to find space to put their ideas into practice was bits of indiana bits of and english socialists too bits of texas bits of connecticut and so i guess it's just part of the book or the aim in the book is just we endlessly have to say history is more nuanced than you think yeah. right it's easier for people to have like very limited ideas about stuff because we have a huge amount of information to process but when we do forget these different histories then i think we lose possibilities for now and yeah. maybe all of mill's radical proposals like i don't know i don't think that any in Britain, I don't think any political party is going to make a huge amount of headway telling people they can't leave the houses to their children, um, <laughs> because, we, because we're because we now, a, in that sense, property-owning democracy, right? We have, or, or at least we aspire to be, even those people have priced out the house market. Um, so, some of Mills, um, as he would have seen it, less radical agenda. I don't think it's going to happen. I can't imagine land, like you know, land tenure reform of the way that Mill talked about it. We don't even do what Mill would have said. You know, a windfall tax on you know when you can sell land because now it's worth more. because It's got planning permission, um, but you know, cooperation is not impossible, um, and uh, but but it is hard, right? And Mill and I think sometimes people think Mills a bit naive. because cooperation hasn't isn't the force it used to be as it was in 19th century England um, and early 20th century England but it doesn't mean that bits of it aren't still possible and again doesn't mean that Mill didn't think it was a really tough thing to do Um, and so you know he talks about the elite of mankind being the people who can do this kind of like self-discipline go without in order to achieve this thing that's really important to them he doesn't think that it was easy And it isn't. But then and then I think that's all the thing about democracy, right? Like (laughs) democracy is really not easy and it's quite boring. Mm. Going to party meetings, like actually discussing stuff with people, coming to consensus. Takes forever. And no wonder people lose their patience and they go with populism or whatever. But and he's not naive about that either. But he's also not wrong that you have to do it.
2: Yeah. I mean (sighs)
0: this is this is this is the critique of Mill from the right. And I would say the right who are actually engaging with him rather than like Oh no, Mill would have been in the intellectual dark web or something yeah. No, he wouldn't go away No, no, no um, But the, the critique of him from the right that's better Is, but what you're saying is so demanding This is so demanding to be like yeah. a captain of your own ship And having, you know, to read all this stuff and think about it And make your own decisions And not just randomly like, I'll do that But Mill, you know, I feel like if you, you hung out with Mill You'd be in for some intense conversations, you know Like... <sharp inhale> Like it is a do- Although I've read
1: a lot of his letters recently and they were all about how there were fleas in the hotel rooms yeah. and which of his different kinds of medicines you would take. So actually, it actually could've been quite a boring conversations. So
0: um I read his exchanges with Herbert Spencer recently and left with the strong view he thought Spencer was a quack and he was kind of humoring him. Anyway. <laughs> anyway.
2: Um
0: but it's demanding and like not ever the place we are now, not everybody can do that. You know, people got people got jobs, you yeah. know. Like the really pursuing your own hobbies and having vibrant interests and what? If, what if we had a nature commune or like that? It's it's hard, um, and so I think then the, tr- the the argument would be. Let me just develop this a little. This is this is an elitist view. This is when people talk about liberals in the ivory tower and sipping mm-hmm. lattes and mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. a latte has been considered the sign of effete. Elitism, I'll never quite be sure, but anyway, um, and surely this is something that could only apply right now to the tiniest percentage of people, to which my response would be, well, that what, what you're giving me are very good arguments for a radical transformation of society such that people that have the time and the resources and the education and whatever other prerequisites you might have that they really can be sovereign over their own minds, you know? Yeah. Um, I, guess, I,
1: I guess, and I think it cuts two ways, right? This one of John Gray's criticism of Mill that I don't, I don't really agree with, that for Mill we all have to be like left bank bohemians, like always experimenting. Mm. Um, I think it's quite clear in Liberty that you can have quite a boring life, mm. so long as it's yours, like you chose it, it's reflectively what makes you happy.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, um, and the importance for Mill is that you have reflected... And that you do things because you know reflectively, having thought about it, you know yeah. they make you happy. And that could, yeah, that could be doing a crossword at the weekend is... at a cup of coffee, right? Like, yeah. or it could be it or could be watching could Love be... Island, although anything in between, or any anything. And so, it don't, doesn't mean that we all have to.
0: I mean, where, yeah, where I would absolutely go to with that is it could be being in. Uh, heterosexual marriage and being completely with happy that as your sort of personal romantic. Yeah, sex yeah sex. I mean, like, Which, look at I, I, Mill,
1: that was his one goal. Like, yeah. let me marry this woman. Yeah, and exactly. I can't. somebody else. <laughs> 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 and I, I read this really nice book about Mill um, by Timothy Larson. It's about Mill as uh, Mill a secularist, but kind of like tracing Mill's re- interaction with, with religion. And, and Larson points out how many times Mill uses the word wife once they're married. It was just like so. Excited that it yeah. happened. So and he writes it in letters to her, like yeah, um, not only to his friends, like you know, my wife and I'll be free for dinner or whatever. Um, yeah, it's very I and mean, you know, it's very dull in in one sense. So I think there isn't. I don't think that Mill Mill thinks that to have a vibrant society, we have to have certain kinds of toleration. I mean, it doesn't the whole other podcast episode where he thinks about actually about toleration, but let's use that word yeah. uh, so, anyway. But that doesn't mean that everybody's under some kind of normative demand to. Um, be super exciting and interesting all the time it's It's just that there's a space for those people who want to develop like vibrant interests like be crazy um can do it um and that whatever more placid routine you're pursuing is actually reflectively engaged in and isn't just being imposed on you Mm. um by societal customs and mores and structures Mm. um and like so so for instance there could be there could be well be women who find it very fulfilling to be at home looking after their family, and cooking, you know, doing preserving and like you know having this like self-sufficient like very nurturing lifestyle. Um, and Mill's like, well, you just can't be sure they're really happy unless they've got other options. Yeah. Right. And like and so if I don't think Mill would meet somebody now, well, maybe now because I don't think we have that many options still. But like, do you know what I mean? Like in a in a properly option-filled future. Um, it's not that mill thinks it's a bad thing for to want to do it's just it's bad if that's the only thing you're allowed to want to do and society also conditions you from birth to want to do it and to feel badly about yourself if you don't want to do it and particularly badly about yourself if you don't get the opportunity to do it yeah. um so but i guess that's slightly different to. so i don't i don't i don't so i don't think Mill's demanding in that sense of like people need to be interesting all the time like that that's that's not, that's not the he case. He
0: demands that you think about it though. Right? He does
1: but he does demand that you're reflective yeah he does demand that and he is demanding about that and and it might be that he doesn't approve of like mindlessly watching X on Netflix <laughs> and then he'd be like, but on the other hand I think when we do mindlessly watch or when I reread books that I know what, exactly what happens in as, like, comfort reading. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm recharging my batteries so I can go to work tomorrow and do like new thinking about whatever it is I'm doing, or yes. like tackle the Excel spreadsheet, or like all, all the other things I've got to do. And obviously, Mill knows you've got to have a balance, right? That's part of the utilitarian calculus. There'll be downtime and an active time. And, um you know, I don't think Mill thought it was bad of him to play the same Mozart pieces at home as like relaxation on the piano like sometimes he played his own compositions but not all the time Mm. like because we need we need all the the yin and the yang of it don't we but I think the other the other element like is on the one hand it is true like working in a workplace democracy is a lot more demanding on every single worker
2: Mm.
1: in some respects for like taking responsibility being reflective being informed and you know long search of the book about how I think that feeds into Mill's views about competence and why he supports things like plural voting and, like, ways in which we balance out the ways that people won't live up to those demands and therefore there might be bad decisions with also recognising everybody ought to have a voice and, like, the responsibilities that we ought to all take on as citizens and not shy away from, like, we have a voice and that means we have power over other people and we need to take that seriously. Um, but I think the pushback from that maybe to if somebody would say this to me from the right wing is, like, it's not like being is, you know, it's, yeah, it's really hard if you're poor and you're on a 0 hours contract and you don't know how you're going to pay the rent at the end of the week. Like, th- yes. that's demanding too, right? Like, capitalism is really demanding yes. of the people that it does least for. And this is just a different kind of demandingness.
0: Yeah, no, that that's... I was going to jump in and say it, but you said it. Like, that's exactly... It's demanding intellectually. Mill, I don't think Mill has a problem with you being, like... I think he wants you to have thought about it and and it to be your considered preference. Mm -hmm. But I actually think, or at least what I take away from the text, and this is how I think about the world, I don't, like, I'm not here to shame anyone on self-regarding actions. Yeah. You know? Like, if you really get off on, like, making preserves at home, I say that... I, actually, I kind of like making... So like, yeah, me too! So there you go, right? Um, or if you want to be going out and doing all sorts of wild stuff, like, that's not the... The, the, the demanding. there is that you have to think about it. That's it. Um, I think the, the where it gets demanding, and I think this is just a mad confusion on the conservative part, is, yeah, if you're poor and economically insecure, you can't really live out this vision. I think that, that probably is true. Um... But then I don't go from that to like, oh, well, that means we should abandon the vision. It means we shouldn't, we should try and not have poor people, you know? Like, that seems to me what obviously falls out of that. That, like, yeah, like, probably the the, the people most able to live the sort of life Mill would want them to live are are more affluent. Sure, that, that, that would seem to make sense. But then that just goes to the sort of egalitarian. Side of things that we started with, right? I don't know.
1: And I think also it's one of the things that Mill historically made him interested in the cooperative movement. You know, cooperatives all were committed to that to to member education. Mm. And so they wanted to be able to make these decisions themselves. They wanted things that weren't being offered by the state. So mm. nearly all the cooperatives, you know, how take the money that's not profit, right? Because <laughs> you're a cooperative, so the product of selling all the things in the shop, and it was divided in the divi model once rochdale had invented that but a portion was always taken away like one to cover like the overheads of the shop once one quite often for kind of like a future contingency fund and then often for an education fund and they had libraries and mill donated copies of the principles of the economy to those libraries and mill gave talks to people but those you know soirees held by these <laughs> so much fun talk from mill about economics <laughs> these like evening meetings but i think we also kind of forget that about radical working class history, like this massive fight to educate ourselves Mm. because nobody was going to do it for us, Um, which is a real difference to how, I guess, a kind of like current stereotypical mythologised view of the working class Mm. now. Um, So there was a lot going on in this package of of being more autonomous, freeing themselves from the current capitalist system, taking control, and 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 a real view of like what they needed to do it um and both a kind of humbleness about not having the skills as well as a like self-assertive like we don't we're not just you know here to be exploited or we're gonna stand up for ourselves um I mean that's why I like reading I mean I know i will find finding a bit abrasive and stuff but I quite like reading George Jacob he's such a um such an inspirational character like you know all the things he did and thought and achieved in his life and the kind of like number of people he influenced the kind of the ways he's trying to get this concept across to middle class people like working class people count and all they want to do is like manage their own affairs why won't you just pass one or two laws that would make that more interesting you know more plausible and i guess which also is maybe another interesting difference that mill's seeing between like the cooperative movement which is in itself grassroots led it's like a to take the language of the work I do elsewhere now about human rights and modern slavery and stuff, it's a liberation movement that is led by the people who need liberating. Mm. Um, whereas some of the utopian socialist writers earlier, it's a very paternalist. Mm. You know, like Robert Owens, like, I own a factory and i am going to make it better. <laughs> I know all the answers come and live in this phalanx that I have designed every single minute of your day in because I know that's what will make you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, that kind of speaks more to Mill's interest in... That sense of sovereignty um, and and personal responsibility, but in a way that's like divorced from this like right wing sense of like what personal responsibility is going on forty four.
0: Yeah, I mean also, I think we view we we you know banal thought we view the world we view the past through our own world right. Um, Yes. We we view freedom and liberation as like quite a right wing thing because it tends Mm -hmm. to be more evoked by the, either nationalists or libertarians in our world, or business interests or whatever. But like you say, there was the idea of emancipation of liberty at the heart of a lot of working-class movements and that. I think we've sort of, in today's world, like egalitarian social justice, we tend to anchor it more to equality or justice. But there is that... There there are... I mean, I've literally just edited a bloody... Yeah! self-promotion uh, <laughs> book on this there is um there is a lot of um sort of more radical and just i guess you could say subversive or at least subversive of established orders um history of what freedom has been as a value that i think is worth recovering and thinking about because some of my reluctance with the socialist label is I mean, I'm from that, That I've worked for Working Families Party, which is a socialist third party in New York, but, like, I'm it's sort of what I grew up in, but is a bit of a scepticism about where modern socialism has found itself, which is, at the end of the day, people who kind of seem to accept the moral logic of markets, and at the end of the day, actually aren't that much more radical than the centre-left parties that they're challenging, mm. um, but just seem to... Th- to To think about it and communicate it in a pretty rhetorically unhelpful way, um, and I would sort of like to bring back the the the, the bits from the yeah, in my head. This is the liberal tradition, but that you know we went through all that. Um, <laughs> but like the 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 uses of liberation and freedom rhetoric that have not been about like just deference to the market as if it's like a real thing with interests Mm. um and yeah and I got a lot of that from your book which is always continually rediscovering those bits of like real radicalism that are in that Mm -hmm. tradition and like, bringing new ways of seeing the world. Yeah, I agree, you couldn't, like, implement what Mill wanted to do in today's politics, but it's nice to have that sense of it. And like I say, I do I do think it's useful for modern socialism, to, whether what you think you're taking it from is a socialist or a liberal, I don't think matters too much. But to have a sense, to get out of this trap of our ultimate goal is these ten things we want the state to do but also we think electoral democracy is effing useless and it'll never work that, that's not inspiring. And I think to have a, a, a view of the one we've just spent two hours going on about huh. is, is a useful source of if nothing else imagination for modern socialist movements. Like, I think it's great I, I, I've gone on way too long, I enjoyed this a lot. Um, thank
1: you no me too yeah but definitely getting like that and very intense this is the thing yeah. we mean about it's demanding like yeah two hours talking about philosophy and a bit more two and a yeah. half <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now i need a like quick let down
0: yeah all right should we should we let, 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 let's pause it there um i i want to make sure you have the last word anything like wrapping up that i mean we covered quite a lot there I and mean, both breadth and depth but um Yeah, I'll just give you the last word. Anything you want to close out on. And um, I'll plug your book one last time. Yeah, I think
1: think that's all really. You've seen selfish being like, please, please go read my book. It's in in many good libraries as well as good bookstores. But no, I mainly just say thanks for having me on. That was fascinating. I loved, it's been a real sadness. I mean, a selfish sadness, but like real sadness that the book came out. In the pandemic and not had that much chance to meet people and talk about it and um, it's been a life's project to start life as my undergraduate dissertation so i was 19 when i started that so it's nearly half my life i've been writing this particular project and um, so it's great it's great to finally have it out. It's so lovely to be able to talk to somebody about it who's read it and has such great thoughts arising from it and obviously hope that anybody listening um has found something useful in that even if they don't want to read the whole book but they should they should stroke the front cover um that I'm on Twitter at HRMcCabe. Um, HR um, people have specific questions. or my email address is out there uh, from my university as well. If people want to get in touch and talk about it a bit more.
0: Terrific. Um, thanks again, as, as you will have guessed, I'm like a nerd for this, period and whatever it's sort of my hobby as mill would say this is me being eccentric and for, (laughs) for some reason i'm interested in this stuff so that that so that was a that was a that was a real pleasure thank you again yeah
1: no thank you yeah same yeah yeah so great to meet you and thanks again for the invite to come on